0: Hello this is Samuel from the back page this is just to say we're taking a couple of weeks off as we've said about 80 times now on various different episodes so while we're away we're putting a couple of our previously page exclusive episodes live for you this time it's the XXL episode we did last year on the James Bond movies ranked quite a fun one hopefully you'll enjoy it we know it's not video games but it's something a little bit different and seems like a good fit for the holiday season if you'd like this episode we've got 40 xl and xxl episodes now recorded behind the paywall on patreon.com backpage pod if you'd like to support us and uh, in january we'll, we'll be back to full service during the regular episodes as well as the patreon episodes so uh, thank you so much for listening and we hope you enjoy Games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, I was so tempted to go like the name's Roberts, Sam Roberts, Ooh. but I thought that would have been a bit lame, uh, so I didn't bother. Would that have been good?
1: Uh, something being a bit lame never stops the James Bond films. <laughs> or indeed <laughs> this podcast. Or this podcast, you know. Like, indeed.
0: Yeah. um I do have one thing to share with you up front, actually, not related to James Bond. Um, okay. I went to Matina in Bristol for the first time yesterday. And oh. fucking hell. Their chicken wraps are like the best things. Maybe some of like the the five best food I've had in Somerset full stop. Like that is <laughs> Whoa. phenomenal. You'd recommend it. There's an
1: SEO article if ever there was one.
0: <laughs> yeah. One for Somerset Live below like, like the foot found in Park or whatever, wherever else <laughs> is going on that week. Um so yes, that was a, a good Matthew Castle recommendation. About seven pound forty absolutely phenomenal i was like looking for flats in bristol uh like looking around areas of flats rather um mm. to see what where might be a nice place to live because i'm gonna try and buy a flat all that fucking nonsense business um and yeah went went to Sydney's next market had to try matina always has a queue and now i know why because uh good god quite a fast moving queue though yeah that's it you just pay then it's in your hands in like five minutes it's um yeah it's really mm. really good uh do you, do you miss it not working in bristol anymore
1: uh I miss that, and that's like the
0: probably the only thing I really miss is,
1: <laughs> is that place and sandwich, sandwich. Um, yeah, I might go there next time.
0: Um, you know, which
1: just... gave me heartburn, heartburn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's good. Uh, after eating brownie, brownie, and uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's enough for that. I think. Um, so, yes, we are doing all the James Bond movies ranked this episode, uh, much like the God of War sort of ranking. This ended up being like so, so much bigger of, t- of a time sink than I thought it was going to be. Um, I thought this was going to be like quite a relaxed affair, but I ended up getting taking it really seriously. And instead of like just, you know, kind of going off of memory, which I've seen all of these films, you know, well, I've seen most of these films um, at least a couple of times. I like uh, this time I just decided to take it really seriously and I ended up watching 15 of them for research for this, wow. which is a lot. Um, So that process alone was uh, was long and drawn out. Um, Matthew, I suppose to start with, let's revisit the question we posed all the way back in the deeply unpopular episode two of the back page, which was (laughs) James Bond, good or bad? Um, And because I know you've been watching some of these and some of your opinions might have changed. How do you feel about yeah. the overall sweep of James Bond movies?
1: Basically, everything I watched sort of flipped my opinion of it a little bit. Maybe not entirely flipped, but things that I thought were great were less great than I remembered. Things that I thought were dreadful were maybe less dreadful than I remembered. And it kind of creates this sort of soup of three-star entertainment, which is James Bond, which I think might just be the fact that I haven't rewatched a lot of these films for quite a long time. I'm a little bit older now, and I think this is like the perfect 14 year old boy series. Yeah. Um, and it's just very, very hard to recapture that. But they definitely have a lot of charm, and I, I'm, I'm, I would still consider myself a fan. I just my my big hot hot take is I don't know if there's a genuine five star film
0: in the bunch. <laughs> yeah, I think they're pro- there's like a borderline five star film in the bunch. Um, And then definitely a few four-star films. Oh, yeah. There's some four-stars. There's fours, threes, many twos. (laughs) And Um, many ones, I would say, as well.
1: Um, Oh, okay. Interesting. Well,
0: uh, maybe, like... Well, we'll we'll get into this. We'll get into this. Um, (laughs) But, yes, I I think I roughly agree with that. I sort of... um, The thing I tried to put myself in a headspace with uh, watching these back is to remember that they emerged from a time where genre entertainment and, like, franchise entertainment was very, very different, where... You know, these films start 15 years before Star Wars, for example, which arguably is like a, you know, a milestone in terms of how, you know, um, entertainment is franchised and what that entertainment looks like, the shape of it. And so Mm. there's a lot of them figuring out what it actually looks like when the only, maybe the only comparable thing around at that time is something like Planet of the Apes, where there's like loads and loads of sequels to that. Um, Right. So... I can kind of say I kind of don't mind the rough edges so much, but then um, there are entire periods of James Bond where it just the quality just dips for like basically like an entire decade, and then you might have one or two sort of like exceptions to that, but um, it has somehow kind of weathered the storm. Um, and while it has been kept kind of relatively sort of modern throughout that, which is definitely key to its ongoing success, uh, it's not. It's never been, like, that modern until, like, maybe about 15 or 16 years ago. It's a very formulaic series um, in a lot of ways. Mm. And it took watching all these back, actually, to start seeing just how many fucking ski chases there are in this series. <laughs> how many times, like, a larger vehicle steals a smaller version of a vehicle. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, do you see that a lot. Um, I just love
1: that the logic of, if you want to steal a vehicle, the best the best technique for this is to build an even bigger version of that vehicle, but then eats it. It's just, it's absolutely
0: hilarious. That happens at least three times in these films. Um, that's amazing. Uh, and then also, of course, like, um, a tank of water that has some kind of aquatic uh, predator in it that will eat human flesh. Like, that... That is, I think, in four of the films, maybe more. Um, mm. So yeah, uh, you do start to see the patterns. So, uh, I, but yes, I agree very much. Very much still in the kind of like good camp. So, um, so a rough overview then for of the different Bond uh, eras for people if they haven't watched them for a while because I think this is useful. So, franchise starts in 1962. Uh, it's based on these books by Ian Fleming, who's like, I mean, you know, he's he's kind of like got big um, British Empire colonial energy when you read about him, lived in Jamaica, just like, seems like, it's very, very shaky opinions, cursed British stuff, um, but obviously kind of creates this <laughs> kind of world that um, people find very compelling. Um, the, the films, I think their relationship to the books sort of fluctuate quite a lot over the years. Some are more direct adaptations, some are not, eventually they run out of source material and then... Um, create original stories altogether which is basically what's been happening for the last um you know uh, 20 years or so uh, maybe actually more than that about 25 years um so yes it's uh it's an interesting one so you start with the uh, connery who's this very uh, masculine uh slightly wry figure um very much kind of like defines the character uh briefly replaced by Uh, George Lazenby um, an Australian actor who was kind of known for a chocolate commercial who kind of like lobbied hard for the role and quite smartly for the role when you read about it basically walked into the office and was like I'm your new James Bond and then they hired him. Um, He was much younger than the others as well I think he was 29 when he made the film whereas I think all of the other ones have started in their 40s or late 30s so a bit of a difference there. Then you have Roger Moore who's basically like um, I'm going to turn these into a carry-on joint um, and basically like raise an eyebrow and uh sort of like put all my acting effort into innuendo rather than anything else um <laughs> then uh you get to dalton timothy dalton uh in the late 80s who's uh much more serious like a proper actor um not sure all of these the actors who play james bond are proper actors but i think dalton kind of <laughs> is he's got emotional range um then you get to brosnan who's uh a bit more like uh, kind of like all the other ones before him combined a little bit he's got a bit of um the sort of Connery masculinity. He's kind of good with the old um, uh, dumb innuendo wisecracks. Uh, and he's extremely handsome and has like a physicality to him that makes him quite, um, quite intimidating, a bit like Dalton. Uh, mm. Then you get to Daniel Craig, who's a very modern, dour, realistic, down-to-earth version. Um, played by a, a, a phenomenal actor um, who ge- is able to give the character some range, even if they uh, not all the films are good at making the most of that. Is that fair, mm. Matthew, as an overview, do you think? Yeah,
1: that's a, a great overview. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think you've nailed them all perfectly. It is interesting, though, when you look at the casting stories around this, that I believe this is correct, that like, Roger Moore was in the mix to play him originally. That makes sense,
0: because he's 45 when he takes over the role. So
1: but but if the, just think how different this whole thing would have been if it started with Moore instead of Connery you know it's it, it's it's hard to sort of see whether the films come from the actors or are made for the actors Yeah cuz uh, like you know Moore doing Connery scripts you know there isn't loads of kind of eyebrow raising in it as well it's not as much it's not as naff, anyway um that's something I've never really understood
0: Yeah there's a, a few instances in the the sort of timeline of these films where you wonder what if um, they'd have like gone with a particular casting decision because I think they wanted Dalton when they were trying to get more, I believe. Like, um, he, was, like right. about, he was about 25 and I think he thought he was too young for it. Um, so they kind of have these very fixed ideas of who they want and they kind of go with them. Um, even like Brosnan, I think, they tried to get Brosnan when Dalton started too. Right. So they are like, I mean he couldn't get out of his contract with Remington Steel, which is like a TV show in the US um, that, he, that made him famous. So yeah, like... Um, also like you notice throughout these films the same actors pop up over and over again in different roles um <laughs> like uh the second m uh appears in the spy love me as a different character for example and i think it's um the love interest in uh man with a golden gun is also octopussy i think uh so i don't know if they just got like there's like oh, right. yeah then the actor's the shame...
1: really wild one is when the informer uh, James Bond's informant in You Only Live Twice is Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. <laughs> like, you can't bring back, like, one of his mates as
0: Blofeld. Yeah. Like,
1: what, couldn't you think of anyone else? They don't even put him in a board cap.
0: Yeah. <laughs> really bizarre. Like, what? Yeah, yeah. We can we can get into some of this more, I'm sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so it's a bit of an odd history. Um, I, Actually, Matthew, I did not put this in the plan. So I want you to ponder this throughout the podcast and we'll revisit it. But if you could put... Any James Bond into another Bond's film? Any Bond okay. actor? What would you pick? And I'm going to give you my pick up front, just so you can gonna kind of think, see, see how I'm thinking. I'd put yeah. Dalton in on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I'd love to see what that looks like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because I think he's got the. The depth for it, the range for it. Um, Lason B, I think, is all right, but it's. Uh, I'll be curious to see what that what that what that looks like. You wouldn't like. have to dub Dalton, mm. I don't think. No, but the, but he's. Um, but that's uh, that's actually like not true about Lazenby. They only dubbed him for the bits where he plays the. Um, oh yeah, uh, no, that's
1: uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the bit I'm thinking of. Like it's uh, even that I find very uh, incongruous. You know? oh, yeah. I think Dalton could pose, could do a Scottish accent
0: uh yes uh well do you mean like and uh well it, you mean isn't it more like a camp british accent isn't that what they're going for maybe that's what they're going for i'm pretty certain that's what they're going for they're like a very poorly rendered of its time depiction of a, a gay english man like uh and it's <laughs> yeah not uh not cool I think in Dal-
1: well what i'm saying is i think dalton could pull
0: it off <laughs> yeah okay fair enough um so yeah who are who's your favorite james bond matthew that's another good question to ask we kick off Again, like this changes
1: with time, you know. Like w- when I was twelve, I thought Roger Moore was absolutely brilliant. Um, now I'm watching it, I'm like, oh yikes! Um, p- probably, I'm going to say Daniel. I'm going to say Daniel Craig, which is a bit of a like boring recency bias answer, just because I think he's the only Bond where they actually bake his aging into the role of the stories. And that's basically what does for every bond. Eventually you get too old and the films try and cover it up and you always end in embarrassment. He's the only one where actually the films sort of fit him at every sort of stage of his sort of development. And I I just think that whether or not he's in you know, he is like individually the the very best bond. I think he just has like the most consistent and coherent run.
0: Yeah, I will say, like, 4K a video has not been kind to all of these actors. Like I've never <laughs> watching Roger Moore on uh a, a, my little TV video combi in like 2000 or nineteen ninety nine, um, you know, you don't see the sort of crags as readily as you do when you're watching <laughs> on a fucking 4K <laughs> Samsung TV in 2022. You know what I mean? Like that's uh that's stuff yeah. different bonds. Um yeah I think I agree well, that- the uh, Craig's got the best Craig's got the best cross section of like ability the films being mostly good, or at least partially good, and then, you know, the character evolving. Whereas, like, you can't argue that for Dalton, who's probably the most comparable to Craig, you know?
1: Yeah, Dalton is the best Bond who didn't get the films he deserved. Yeah. Yeah. Like he arrives fully formed, and he's really compelling. He just looks great. He sounds great. He's got this real confidence. There's no sense of like nervousness of stepping into a role or trying to find your feet. Which even like I think more, it takes a couple of films to really get into it. But Dalton's just there. But the film around him is, is, is quite drab. Doesn't doesn't give him much
0: to work with. Yeah, he's even funny when he has to be as well. Like he's actually mm. yeah, he's actually good. I think like it is Craig, but then Connery as a kind of like uh, setting the template of the entire series, you know, Connery yeah. is obviously incredibly important. Um, more, I think, like you, he has fallen the most in my estimations, I think, after watching his films. Like, <laughs> there's just not much to him, really, as an actor um, or to his Bond, you know? There's like, you get no sense of inner life to that character, really. He, <laughs> he just sort of turns up. We love inner life on this podcast. <laughs> turns up, shags, kills the enemy, cracks. Like, that's all he does, really. He doesn't, like think about the consequences. He doesn't live with a heavy heart. He doesn't have any of that additional depth. He just sort of exists, really. Um, collected his paycheck, then went into tax exile. That's like a big thing with early Bonds, isn't it? Just like, not paying your taxes. Um. <laughs> my One of my favourite trends uh, outside the Bond films
1: is earlier Bonds dunking on later Bonds films. Yeah. So, like, Sean Connery famously dunks on, like, Moonraker saying, these films have got ridiculous. But then you have... Uh, definitely roger moore dunking on died i think it's day. quantum of solace he tunks on for saying like the editing's too fast
0: <laughs> died the other day uh, he didn't like either he's like oh the invisible cars have gone too far it's like mate you're in a car that was a fucking submarine asshole <laughs> <laughs> roger moore basically cannot judge anyone else's bonnet it's <laughs> yeah. not allowed audacious really um top five bond themes i thought this would be fun to do i didn't want to do like all of the different you know bond criteria fucking gadgets cars yeah sh- you know like shudder bond girls none of that bullshit so i thought we'd just do the themes because they are like um these are these are good even when the films are shit so oh um, yeah what, what have you got for your top five
1: uh nobody does it better carly simon uh you only live twice nancy sinatra big fan of that uh the world is not enough garbage uh not garbage it's great um <laughs> Ha ha ha. I really like We Have All the Time in the World, um, but I, I don't know if I like the actual song or just the tune, which whenever I hear it, I think is just one of like the great swooningly romantic pieces of music. Mm. Um, I've also got... And I don't know if this is cheating, because it's also on Her Majesty's... I've got theme from Her Majesty's Secret Service. Yeah, so which...
0: I, I didn't pick any that didn't have vocalists, which is the only reason I didn't pick that, you know? Yeah, I I, I
1: picked that. I mean... If I was being really wanky, I think that it's it's actually it's an end credit song that I think should be a, a Bond theme. I really, really like um K D Lang's Surrender over the end credits of Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh right. Uh, Interesting. It's an absolute bat that is one of the great Bond themes. And it, it is tomorrow. It is like she does sing Tomorrow Never Dies. It was obviously one of the ones in contention at some point. Um so yeah, that's my slightly wanky take. <laughs>
0: okay cool is that so that was five right yeah okay uh you don't like the uh sailors singing there uh, nobody does it better at the end of spy Love me Matthew you big on that no. <laughs> <laughs> um so I've got uh mine slightly different I've got um license to kill at fives so Gladys Knight I think that like oh, yeah. when you hear that when that hits that's like very well well da, edited da, and place the the big duh yeah in that is really good that's really good yeah um yeah the spy love me so nobody does a bear i've got number four uh i've got cheryl Crow's tomorrow never dies number three actually i fucking love that song when i hear it i'm properly teleported back to like 1997 it's just like yeah. it's absolutely dripping in 90s <laughs> late 90s energy um and then number two i've got skyfall by adele which i think is excellent um yeah tend to be like you know female vocalists just tend to be like a really good fit for this stuff of course and then i've got a uh, you only live twice number one um, I think it helps that that was in an episode of Mad Men, so maybe I thought that was cooler than it actually is. Based on that. Um,
1: oh, it is good. It's like subtle. It's also kind of you know, it's weird and a bit sinister. I like that. That's a good tune, and the do 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 do. It's just like one of the absolute classic,
0: like Bond motifs. Yeah, but I do agree with you overall that if I had to pick one soundtrack to an entire film on a Majesty Secret Service, is like. Is incredible, minus that song about Christmas, which is rubbish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know how Christmas uh, trees are grown? That's terrible. That,
1: that soundtrack's so strong that just them repeating it in No Time to Die
0: I found incredibly moving. <laughs> oh, really? I found that really cynical, actually, as we'll get into. I hated that I thought come up with your own fucking motif you know, oh like,
1: I loved it I was like oh god so the best yeah. you
0: can do is to repeat it's not like I can put like the Schindler's List theme tune in fucking John Wick 4 and make an emotional moment do you know what I mean that's, <laughs> it's a...
1: that's completely different how
0: <laughs> it's not his film <laughs>
1: But it's Bond. It's like it, it's tapping into like this sort of like history of Bond. Like you, could, Bond, a Bond film can use another
0: Bond theme. It's not the same thing as John Wick using shit <laughs> A Bond theme, <laughs> a, a, a Bond theme from a time that the Daniel Craig films explicitly rejected when they rebooted it, and were like, "No, we're not this anymore. We're better than this." And then like. They're like, oh yeah, we're well just, yeah, you know, a bit of Honor, Majesty Secret Service, just make this land a bit more, rather than like coming up with our own bit of music. I just, nah, no, oh, I, want, I want nothing to do with that. Your my friend. hard
1: heart, that
0: <coughs> gave me, that gave me chills. That's one of the, that's one of the reasons. No time to die is as high as it is on my list. <laughs> <laughs> that has made it a lot higher than it otherwise would have been. Um, some of the differences in our voting will be fun to get into, Matthew. Uh, okay, good. Uh, Matthew, should we take a quick break there and come back with our uh, Bond films ranked? Yeah, let's do it. Welcome back to the podcast. Let's rank these twenty-five films. Most of them shit. I'm only joking. Uh most of them are like um average or like uh not very good. Um but <laughs> the but the ones that are good are I, I do very much like. So um it'll be a fun list to to tear through, I'm sure. Matthew, right at the bottom here we've got the final Connery film that isn't Never Say Never Again. Actually we should point that out, shouldn't we, that we um only did the Eon produced ones. Um Yeah, never not- say never's fake fakey yeah absolutely and he's so fucking old in it which i know is part of the plot but it's you know etc etc we don't need to go into it so diamonds are forever is at number 25 um little synopsis here matthew james bond masquerades as peter franks to uncover a diamond smuggling conspiracy he must also deal with his old rival, who wants to use the diamonds to build a giant laser. Now, I will point out these are taken straight from Google, and and some of them are so fucking brain dead. Like it feels like they were just, they were community contributions, quote unquote. Uh, <laughs> wait until you get we get to the, um, uh, on a Majesty Secret Service one. I cracked up at it. So uh, yeah, uh, so this one, yeah, basically like uh, on a Majesty Secret Service comes out. It's not a as financially successful as the Connery films, they pay Connery 1.5 million to come back. Um, he looks a lot older and more tired than he did previously. I don't know what mm-hmm. happened. He's only like 41 or something uh, in this, but like, he looks like he's been editing a games magazine in between Matthew, just like proper, <laughs> like rundown kind of thing. Um, but more than this, I think like it, betray it represents a course correction, uh, from on Majesty's majesty secret service to make the film sillier again. Um, has, like, uh, when they bring back Blofeld, like you say, they use an actor they've used before. But also, they had... I would have just used, like, Donald Pleasance, who was, like, um, in uh, You Only Live Twice, because he was just, uh, you know, he was at least synonymous with the Connery kind of version of um, Blofeld. Instead, they use this other guy. Um, And it's just quite campy and boring. Um, And I think... I actually thought it was genuinely terrible when I watched it. It just did nothing for me whatsoever. Um, And, like, yeah, I feel like it was... Maybe a mistake to bring Connery back. Ultimately, what do you think about this one?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's sort of fair. i like, again, I sort of remember liking this one as a kid uh, because I think it's got a bit of a bit of more energy to it. Like it's a, it's a bit sillier. Um, kind of Bond goes to Las Vegas. You know, there could have been something in that. The kind of fish out of water. I always find Bond in America. They never, they never quite like land it or do anything particularly like interesting with it. Mm. How do we feel about <gasps> the gay hitmen, <laughs> Mister Winter, Mister Kid? Oh God, <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> conflicted. <laughs> Would that be the right term? Um, yeah. So that these gay assassins who, like, uh, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think I said this to you on social and uh, Discord, but um, they feel like. Um, a sort of like mad ex-military british empire man smoking opium in in jamaica what he would think gay people are with like no evidence <laughs> whatsoever of what that is um and it leads to like really bizarre uh, it just doesn't work really um but some people that our just got a little bit of affection for these characters i think because the actors who portray them are quite interesting i suppose but yeah ultimately i'm um, i'm not i'm not a fan yeah, what, like- what about you
1: uh, you know the stuff. The stuff again that I reacted to a- as a youngster is is the slightly more, in hindsight, like outrageous stuff or the kind of henchmen. You know, I liked Odd Job. I like Jaws, Mister Winter, Mister Kid. I just like their names. Um, like, but you know, it's not stuff you pick up on. It's not stuff you pick up on in the mid nineties anyway. Mm. You know, we live in more enlightened times with a lot of these things.
0: Um, uh,
1: this is also Bambi and Thumper
0: uh yes that's right yeah the uh the bits where all those women are like doing gymnastics and beating up Sean Connery yeah <laughs> I quite I quite like that too many pairs of outlandish characters in this film um yeah they should, they should have dialed that back and then like but they've also done they do the thing where Blofeld's in drag that's really like uh okay this is where we're at tonally is it it's like <laughs> not not good um yeah the Las Vegas thing is is a little bit interesting setting wise but like you say they don't do much with it um What's the other thing I was going to point out about this one? Oh yeah, I, do, I will agree with you that like um, I do enjoy a secondary iconic villain in these films, like a henchman, yeah. a henchman with a bit of color to them, you know. Um, if, yeah. if if your main guy's a bit weak, you can have a colorful henchman really kind of pick up a lot of pick up a lot of the weight. I think paper over the cracks, yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, uh, very uh, kind of a, a strange one tonally and uh, not very good. So I don't. I don't mind this being at the bottom, but I will say that there's a few here at the bottom that could have been very bottom and it wouldn't have mattered too much to me based on the voting like. just because, like... I don't know. Well, it's only like, only like two to three of them, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Moving on then. Uh, Octopussy. Uh, J- James Bond sets out to foil a nuclear attack on NATO. However, in order to do so, he must enlist the help of a circus group and its obscure leader, <laughs> o- Octopussy. <laughs> now, generally speaking, Matthew, I think that this... The lower band of more films are all kind of interchangeable to me in that i don't really love any of them i don't like any of them really um yeah they are just like uninvolving and you know no drama to them um not much panache to the set pieces the only bit from this i really kind of like like is when he's um, sliding down the stairs with the with, when he's um firing his machine gun and then he um <laughs> shoots the banister at the end so he doesn't get hit in the balls that's that's the only bit i like from this film really um what are your feelings on this one
1: yeah like i've I've just, uh, I've just never, I've just never liked it. Like even when I was younger, even you know, even though this is one of the sillier ones. It, it, it's, it's never really clicked for me. The whole kind of art smuggling ring at the heart of it, I find not confusing, just a bit baffling. Like what the guy has such a strange plan to smuggle these like warheads into Berlin using some kind of art smuggling ring. Um, st- also, Stephen Burkov is just f- fucking honking. As this comedy Russian guy, Stephen Burkhoff is who you hire if Peter Stormare is too sucking for you.
0: Um, just appalling. Okay, very good. Yeah, I think that's all we need to say about that one. Just like, yeah, these small ones that just make me wonder how on earth the franchise survived the seventies and eighties like intact because yeah. there was so many naff ones. But uh... this
1: octopusy as well, like the concept of naming the film after this character who takes ages to turn up and doesn't seem that important. Like I never, I just never really got what the what the central idea of this film is really meant to be. They yeah. just
0: like the word octopusy, I think, Matthew, and uh, um, from that story, and then just thought, well, we'll, we'll just do that then. Because I think, it's isn't it called <laughs> octopusy in the Living Daylight's a story or something? I think it might be, but... Oh, okay. Yes, uh, next up then, Matthew. Um, number 23, Die Another Day. Now, this film it's not nearly as bad as its reputation suggested to me upon watching it this week. This is one of the ones I hadn't seen, actually. Oh, okay. And, like, it has a really dreary opening, um in like in korea which is
1: not... <laughs> well, well korea but it's obviously filmed in that place in hampshire where they film like the opening of gladiator like it's it's just it's just british countryside it,
0: it's the most plainly obvious not korea setting you could pick i was it's definitely like, that like... is that's fairham, or wherever it is that they fairham. always use for filming in the uk <laughs>
1: for, fairham. for absolutely one it's like welcome to north korea or fairham <laughs>
0: I grew up like um 10 minutes from Fairham, so that's really that's a really funny reference. Um yeah, it's obviously the UK where they filmed it. And it's not it's a really boring intro and then I thought oh this is going to be shit, is it? But there are actually things I like about this. Like um I think that the sword fight between um Bond and Have you um, got a synopsis. Oh yeah, sorry, I should do that, shouldn't I? Um James Bond is assigned with the mission uh, to inquire about the connection between a Korean terrorist and a diamond baron. However, upon being betrayed, he gets captured by the enemy. Um, I think that's just really just the um very that's opening the, of the film that yeah. is. Yeah, not the not the rest of it. Um Yeah, there are things I kind of like about this I, I quite like um yeah, like I say the the fencing duel between um Bond and uh Toby Stevens' character, I can't remember his name. Um I like Graves. Gustav Graves, think, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's right, yeah. And then um I like the underground, the uh, London underground base that um uh, the, uh MI5 is using in this, That's cool uh i like the uh da, da, da. let's think what else do i like about this i, I oh rosamund pike she's really good uh, i think she's quite quite a good sort of like uh, wrinkle character at the centre of it there's like lots of naff stuff to it like um i don't think either of the the main villains are like are particularly iconic um but i do think that and uh, madonna's in it as well which is quite naff. <laughs> um a little bit of madonna sprinkled yeah. in there because obviously that's the theme tune the theme tune is really bad um, oh. I don't mind the kind of like big ice space I think that people love to use the invisible car in this to batter the film with but right. I, I don't think it's noticeably yeah. worse than the other
1: Brosnan's I, I think 100% I think the problem with this film is everyone dunks it for the invisible car and they dunk it for the bit that terrible CG bit where he surfs um, to, to, to escape the ice palace yeah um, and everyone remembers the, a couple of very bad minutes and actually it's fine like this isn't my least favourite Brosnan um I, I think it's I think it's quite good fun. Uh I quite like the globe hopping in it. I mean the career stuff's like Naff but you know it, it gives it it's a slightly different enemy for them to like deal with uh which is interesting. Um yeah, I think I think this is okay. I think it's people, um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. I think I think there's a bit of a bit of reevaluation for this one. At the time I was incredibly pumped for it. Like Probably The World is Not Enough and Die Another Day was when I was like most into Bond, and both of them didn't really do it for me. Like I really bought into the whole. Like they were like, this is the Bond where he's, you know, he gets caught by North Korea, and you know he gets like tortured for all this time, and he comes out a really different Bond, and it's it's going to be like a much darker Bond. It's going to be about like what happens when Bond's been abandoned, and there's like huge tension with them, and actually, like he has a shave and like all his trauma vanishes. <laughs>
0: um. <laughs> that's true, but I do think that that it does give it a different vibe. Like this, that's what I found really confusing about the. Um the sort of like perception of this one as being quite campy and stuff. When I was like, this is actually like, it's not mega, mega serious, but it is. he has quite a stormy relationship with him, I would say. He does feel betrayed yeah, by the yeah. fact that he is like, to get him back, they basically give up a terrorist who's like a, a massive threat and Bond doesn't think it was worth it. And like that that stuff, the, the tone of the first half of the film is not at all wise cracking and, and all that mm. stuff. It's like, it's very much like quite low key. And then it just becomes a bit sillier in its second half, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ends up with a
1: giant laser shooting down from the sun or something, doesn't
0: it? Yeah. But again, like it's part of the course of some of the bullshit in these films. I'm i <laughs> I'm just surprised Bond fans were so appalled by it, and it is jammed with um references to previous films, which again, how high are the standards of these people who what who survived the Roger Moore era? Do you know what I mean? Like uh <laughs> I don't see yeah, I, I this is I think I for me this is slightly too low down on the list. I th- I don't think it's that bad um but yeah oh okay yeah that was you know it's like good
1: yeah i I think i
0: i think i actually
1: tempered some of my judging because i didn't want to be judged by you (laughs) (laughs) oh no that's terrible
0: Um, underscored die another day (laughs) oh bollocks there's two two films maybe three films directly above this that i would never watch ahead of this one so uh okay let's move on um number 22 for your eyes only after a British information-gathering vessel sinks into the sea, Agent 007 is given the responsibility of locating the lost encryption device and thwarting it from ent- entering inimical inimical hands. What the fuck does that mean? Um, <laughs> enemy hands, I assume. they mean. Who the fuck wrote these things? <laughs> inimical? What the fuck is that word? You heard that word before? No. Right, let me... No. Inimical. I couldn't identify that word. No. No, I neither could Google... <laughs> you look at Google. and It's Google's own description. That's so confusing. Um, the one Google search result is that synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> I had to remind myself of what this one is because some of the names of these um, these films, in uh, particularly the like later more ones, I just get the three of them confused. Basically, um, so this is the one where I think they basically went with. Um, it's like re- retrospectively been rebadged as a. an attempt to return to more serious form after Moonraker, but it's shit. It's
1: fucking crap. It's so boring. That's (laughs) that's the thing. They mistake the subtlety of From Russia With Love. Whenever one of these films is subtle, they always say, oh, they're trying to tap into From Russia With Love. Yeah. Um, But this is just boring. It's just not interesting. Um... Set pieces aren't good. It's got another interminable skiing
0: segment. in <laughs> Oh, it. the longest ever! And like, <laughs> why would you? It's like twenty minutes long. And why would you go back to skiing after the spy who loved me? Like, why for with for more? Why would he bother? Like, he already yeah. did the ultimate ski set. I
1: know oh, that's the thing. Yeah, bad. Um, it's got that very annoying American ice skater who calls him Uncle James. Oh, I hate that. She's annoying. that's weird. That's got because he's so old at that point. Um, and I, I really hate the opening sequence to this film, which oh. is Bond picks up Blofeld in a helicopter and drops him down a chimney, which I think is a really stupid ending <laughs> to like quite a good villain and quite a... You no, know, the classic Bond villain, arguably.
0: The man who killed his wife. And it ends with a bit of a lark. Um, yeah. And also, I find this so confusing, right? Because... So, first of all, like people, people were say that this is a more serious Bond film after Moonraker, <laughs> I would argue dropping fucking Blofeld in a chimney from a helicopter is not serious. That's quite daft. <laughs> I, um, the one thing I like about this film is uh, the actress who plays Melina Havelock, whose uh, parents were killed. I think she's pretty good. Um, Carol Bouquet, mm-hmm. or however you pronounce her name, but yeah. Um, everything else is just dog shit. Um, yeah, just crap. It's got the very silly uh, face-matching tech as well, Matthew. Do you remember that one? No. Well, well, I, I I didn't rewatch this one for this episode. This is where like it's like Q's got like a like a thing where it basically it matches the hair and the face, but it's done with a very really old school kind of green screen computer and it's like this big basically drawing of a face and then like bit, bits <laughs> appear underneath it and it's presented as cutting edge technology and it's so, so naff. Um that's funny. Yeah, this is really bad. Uh this made me wonder as well. Like had it made me wonder if the profile of on a majesty secret service to somehow changed by 1981 because that was a film they seemed to want nothing to do with but then that opening suggests that oh yeah it's a very poignant moment of bond's life and i thought
1: oh yeah so poignant He drops a man down a huge chimney and he oh it's just it's just crap also like Blofeld is tied up... The character of Blofeld is tied up in this, like, endless legal battle. Yeah. Um, in real life, not in the films. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh Because, like, the rights to him... It's, it's something to do with, like, who owns the rights to certain books. So it can't... It is Blowfelt, but they he, they never refer to him as Blowfelt, and you don't get to see his face. They just... But they know that, like, you just have to have the silhouette of a bald man in a wheelchair, and you'll go, oh, yeah, Blowfelt. Yeah. Um, so it's it's it, even then it's like a real it's like a budget blowfelt. It's like they kill
0: this knockoff blowfelt. Yeah. Um and, and he's also just like um he sat on top of a roof of a tall building operating a, <laughs> operating this remote control <laughs> get car. there? <laughs> yeah. And how, how was he planning on getting down? And also um also why would he just stay indoors and man it from there where he can't be picked up by a helicopter and dropped in a chimney? Because it wouldn't be convenient for this shitty set piece, would it, Matthew? <laughs> um yeah, terrible, terrible film. This um, for your eyes only. Like one of the wild things about doing this list is
1: uh, after I sort of put my numbers in, I was looking at loads of lists, and it's actually like how inconsistent they are. Like no one really agrees what the best ones are, mm. but for your eyes only is often like in top half, right? Which I do not get at all. And and with this line of oh yeah, it's like it's 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 Roger Moore's subtle Bond, and you are like
0: this is. This is very bad. Yeah, I, I, I regret to inform you there is no subtle Roger Moore Bond. That's like, <laughs> that's tied up with the limitations of the actor, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, rubbish. Absolutely rubbish. That skiing set piece, man. I was watching it yesterday, screaming at my TV, just, why aren't you fucking over yet? Jesus. Um, okay, next one. Uh, a View to a Kill at number 21. Uh, Max Zorin, a menacing microchip manufacturer, harbours a plan to destroy all of his Silicon Valley competitors. Now is now it is up to James Bond, Agent 007, to put an end to the maniac's lethal intentions. I just think of this as the Christopher Walken one. Matthew, um, how do you feel about this one?
1: Yeah, like again, I
0: had a better reputation
1: when I was younger because I I really liked uh, Christopher Walken and Grace Jones together. I thought they were like you know when you, when you're a kid they're quite unusual presences. You know, like they're not particularly interesting characters, but just physically they're 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 so kind of striking. Um, it gives it quite a weird energy. I do like Bonds, where Bond spends a lot of time with the villains. Mm. You know, I quite like the trope of Bond goes undercover and kind of lives lives with them or gets to hang out with them, which I guess sort of starts with, like, Goldfinger. You know, there's a lot of Goldfinger in that film. So I, I, I kind of like that about this one. Um, I, I dipped into it rather than rewatch the whole thing, and I, I was, like... Kind of shocked by how old Roger Moore is in it. Yeah, uh, ancient. Which, that 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 stuff just doesn't stand out to you when you're a kid. You know, you don't have a concept of like age being you know a huge sort of hindrance necessarily. Um, but this one, he just looks terrible, and it's the thing <laughs> that gets me. It's it's not just like how little close-up stunt work you see him do because he's basically too old. It's how old all his oofs sound when he's like, oh, oh. (laughs) It sounds like an old man really getting the shit beat out in the old time. And it's it's quite sad. You're like, this shouldn't have happened.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah. So by this point, I think he was about... 50 like late 50s like or mid 50s so yeah yeah really old which is you and, know, and it's yeah. not just like it's not late 50s by like modern
1: standards because Cruise is like 60 isn't he yeah, yeah you know it's this is late 50s back when like bodies were like older it's why George Lazenby looks he doesn't look young when no. he takes over his Bond because everyone looked old like bodies just <laughs> aged faster <laughs> in the 60s and 70s
0: than they do now yeah yeah, it's true. Like, yeah, he's got way too many lines from twenty nine. lason B. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny that. Yeah, I I agree with you. The one, th- uh, so I do agree with you that like the the redeeming feature of some of these Naffa uh, more films is they do have some of them have good villains. That's not true of um, uh, For Your Eyes Only, which also has a, a shit theme tune. By the way, um, I'll point that out. Um, by Sheena Easton, um, A View to a Kill, by contrast, has a fucking amazing theme tune. This this actually almost made my top five. The Duran Duran one, I think it's very. Um, very fun yeah. that one and yeah i think like um i agree with you about walken and um grace jones like that's like a, that's a pretty good combo to give this a bit of color it's just still these films are all just like a bit of a much of a muchness to me um yeah, yeah. just in the, in the 90s i was big
1: into christopher walken playing villains called max between this and <laughs> Max shrek and <in> batman returns <laughs> like i i really like cuz i i didn't i hadn't seen like all the stuff he's actually cherished for, because I was only a you know kid slash teenager. Yeah. Um but you know, when you're a kid, this guy's like, oh, it's that weirdo who's the villain in things. I really liked, I, I just, I remember being very fond of that. You mean at age
0: 11, you weren't a big fan, a fan of the King of New York, Matthew? Um. <laughs> yeah, the Deer Hunter.
1: <laughs> we were all playing Russian roulette in the playground <laughs> in homage to our favourite film, <laughs> The Deer
0: Hunter. <laughs> um, I do feel slightly cruel being um, dunking on the more films like this. Cause I, like you, um, the the way to watch these was to, to chain watch them on ITV one in like ninety eight <laughs> yeah. or ninety nine, and then like watching like watching one a week. These are all perfectly fine in sequence because they're more like you're watching TV episodes, and yeah. they're very silly. I
1: mean, like my, uh, like
0: the the cycle of ITV
1: would show one a week every couple of years it was a huge deal for me in in secondary school. Like yeah. me and my friend Craig were like super into um, Bond, and I, I think we were like. I remember live re-ranking them based on where we were up to. So, like, every week we'd re-rank the whole series based on, like, what we'd seen, or definitely the theme tunes. We were just obsessed with talking about James Bond. Mm. So it's 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 responsible for, like, really happy memories. Uh, you know, I almost self regret going back to them. I, I almost preferred the versions I had <laughs> locked away in my head.
0: Yeah, I think we're doing this the right way, though, which is, like, um, basically having a fundamental love of the films going into this um and not just spending all of our time dunking on the bits that like are massively out of date in terms of gender politics or whatever because that wouldn't make for a fun podcast would it um yeah the- kind of, yeah
1: yeah i also uh golden gate bridge is is quite an iconic ending um
0: not not as good as you remember it but like <laughs> you remember it you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah um i would say that the uh the end of uh, rise of the planet of the apes is kind of like the the signature Golden Gate Bridge set piece these days, I suppose, when I think of it. But, um,
1: yeah, was- I once went to a te- terrible film quiz in Bath where the quiz master did a round on which film is this landmark in, and he said the Golden Gate Bridge. <laughs> so, and we so put for you to the kill, and he was like, wrong, it's vertigo. <laughs>
0: Terrible. Did I tell you about?
1: I must have told you about the X Men thing with him as well.
0: I think you have, but he definitely hasn't come up on the podcast before, so go ahead. Uh, so also
1: part of that quiz, in another round, he said Vinny Jones played which X, X-Men in, in X-Men 3 or whatever. And so we all put Juggernaut because obviously he plays the Juggernaut. And then when he was doing the answers, he said, Vinny Jones, of course, played the astronaut. And everyone there went, no, it's the Juggernaut. It's the Juggernaut. And the quiz guy took a beat and he went, okay, I will accept Juggernaut or Astronaut. <laughs>
0: Oh my god, the worst quiz and it's master like, ever. It is an astronaut.
1: <laughs> that's wrong, and no one has written it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he has to maintain his pride by lying about yeah. it. <laughs> well, uh. it's an either or
1: situation. Look, like, it isn't. He's called the juggernaut. He doesn't say, I'm the astronaut, bitch. <laughs> 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 oh,
0: that's so funny. Which, <laughs>
1: Terrible. Which, which pub was this in? No, that was that was the film quiz at the little theatre.
0: What the little theatre did that? That's
1: really yeah. grim. Oh my god! Well, they 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 had someone else used to run the quiz, but then this one bloke took over for one week, and it was just an absolute disaster. <laughs> that's amazing. What film is Big Ben in?
0: <laughs> oh. I hope
1: he wrote the Thirty Nine Steps. Oh yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> oh, just that's so so good. Oh what is the name of this actor? And it's a picture of Tom Cruise who goes (laughs) wrong. Dustin Hoffman. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. I'll accept Tom
1: Cruise or Dustin Hoffman.
0: (laughs) Oh, I want to know where that guy is now. Oh, that's so good. The astronaut. Oh, that's killed me. Okay. Um, Where were we then? Oh, yeah, okay. So that's a view to a kill ticked off. Uh, Oh, that's so funny. Number 20 is Moonraker, which I think, again, has a slightly unfair reputation i'll just read the the terrible synopsis from google after a space shuttle which has been loaned to the united kingdom is hijacked classic james bond is asked to step in and get to the root of the problem god that's a terrible description <laughs> um so this is where like star wars becomes massive and um they all drink too much of the star wars juice and decide to make um, send bond into space um, and it's it is super silly they also bring back jaws who is an excellent henchman from um spy love me of course and uh, make him silly give him a girlfriend the tone of it's just quite mm. daft um, by comparison um but i don't find it overtly offensive uh, honestly um compared to uh, i don't again it's slightly interchangeable for me between these this and the other two i i definitely can prefer this to uh, For your eyes only what do you think of Moonraker?
1: Oh, yeah I, I think it's okay i think that the actual space station bit is just so dumb that it's 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 quite a uh, quite a hard hang for the final third. But him investigating Drax at the start, that's okay. I think the parachuting stunt in the pre credit sequence is absolutely still actually amazing. Hmm. Like, the physicality of them filming people parachuting and, like, wrestling over it. You know, I I keep remembering all the fuss they made over that parachuting sequence in Mission Impossible Fallout, where they were, like, crews did all these, like, endless jumps and they had to train all these cameramen to do this really difficult parachuting scene. But I honestly, like, watch this Moonraker one being like, bloody hell, they're actually, like... It really does look like they're, they're, you know, they are doing all this stuff in the air. It's it's quite quite impressive. Um, And... Uh, I quite like the the spooky bit with Jaws at like the Mardi Gras parade. Yeah, that's 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 quite unnerving. And even though like now their special effects are quite like ropey looking, um, the
0: ski lift is a is is a good set piece. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, th- I think like I think like you say, it's like it's basically perfectly fine. Sometimes good before they get into space. Yeah, um, and then yeah, the is whole that- yeah gone.
1: There's that terrible bit where he wears a poncho and it plays the Magnificent Seven theme tune. Ugh, yeah. That was bad. I
0: just like, what? Gross. I just don't know what they're going for with that. They play Lawrence of Arabia theme in For Your Eyes Only. Yeah, which is, I mean, that's.
1: But that's like a little bit more, you know, that's kind of cute and you can kind of get away with it. And, you know, Lawrence of Arabia feels more of a piece with the kind of. The world that Bond is coming from Hmm. Rather than The Magnificent Seven And like We're just going to dress him up As Clint Eastwood Who isn't in The Magnificent Seven (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Like Oh Oh, okay (laughs) (laughs) Tough Uh, That's a real Someone's like Someone probably raised that But a producer Had already had the idea (laughs) And was like Make him dress up As the western guy (laughs) And you're like Okay Yeah (laughs) Yeah Okay, good. Oh yeah, some right. someone will dunk on
0: this on a payable podcast in forty years, but but sure. Yeah, we'll have to course correct the films again after this, but fine. Um, yeah, so this made a ton of money, like because um, Star Wars was, was so big, and this was clearly cashing in. Uh, yeah, people went and saw it in drives. Um, yeah, it's but I don't know, it's not as offensive as like people retrospective reviews would suggest it is i would say um yeah it's properly like just written off now as one of the worst ones and uh yeah don't know not not i'm not with people on that uh oh, thank god we finally got through most of the shitty roger moore ones matthew we can move on to <laughs> shitty brosnan ones so uh, <laughs> uh, this is interesting 19 the world does not enough i think this is quite low so james bond uh is entrusted with the responsibility of protecting the daughter of an oil tycoon while on his mission, he learns about an even more dangerous plot. Uh, again, very informative there. Um, you put this lowest in your list, didn't you, Matthew?
1: Yeah. Toughly I hate watch? the not enough. Um, and maybe I'm carrying some baggage. Like I say, I was never more excited for a new Bond film than after the one-two punch of Golden nine Tomorrow Never Dies. Bond was a big part of my life because of the video games. This was, like... A film I remember being obsessed with, like before it came out, like I'd read every feature about it in every film magazine. I was any information about this film. I thought this was going to be the most exciting film of all time, and I thought it was. I just thought it was such a bust. Um, that the threat is to an oil pipeline. I think is incredibly underpowered. Um, Denise Richards, absolutely terrible Bond girl. Um, I, I found. The, the Sophie Marceau and um, Robert Carlyle pairing as a um, lecturer and Renard just uh, like I can sort of see what they were going for that they they almost wanted this sort of like more per like there's almost like a weird like love triangle type thing kind of playing out between the three of them but it just it just didn't land for me I, I, I just it's just not what I want from a Bond film I just it, I, and I'm watching it now I thought am I going to have like a huge epiphany and 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 see actually you know for its merits, but um it's still incredibly flat for me. So yeah, it's my least
0: favourite Bond. So this is one of the ones I didn't have time to get around to rewatching. So I'm definitely leaning on your expertise here, Matthew. But- I mean
1: my expert but I I am like I've I have you know, I have held this to be the worst Bond film since the day I saw it. Maybe there's a bit of pride holding it in that position. But it's it's just crap. There's that bad boss fight against the helicopter with the saws. That's just that's rubbish. uh the end set piece i'm not a big fan of water set pieces in bond films Hmm. as a rule and this one with like the flooding submarine and robert Robert carlyle is this villain who can't feel pain i just don't feel they do anything interesting with it all they really do is that every scene he'll get shot and like shrug it off that's how they remind you that he can't feel pain there's no like he doesn't do anything like crazy violent or mad to show that ability um yeah, Robert Col- Robbie Coltrane's kind of
0: funny in it, I guess. I like the bit where he dies and he shoots him um, to free him. That's good. Um. Yeah, oh, that weird chair. What was that like? That chair that she puts him in—the the sort of
1: sex chair with like the <laughs> which sort of breaks his neck—is such an ornate thing for <laughs> for a torture device. I've ne- that 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 definitely stood out to me more on this on this rewatch. I was like, what is that about? Like, wh- who built that thing? Um, I th-
0: I'm assuming it's a sex thing rather than a torture thing. Yeah, I assume so. I mean, maybe it's just a convenient device for that particular plot beat they wanted to do. Um, um, yeah. The- and the opening set piece. Oh,
1: that's Again, that's quite fun, what the Millennium Dome, that's fun Oh, it's just, it's just so of the time, you know, like <laughs> him going down the Thames Which is actually a very boring location for a boat chase <laughs> It's just a huge expanse of water And most of the shots are just him getting drenched in water and sort of coughing and spluttering <laughs> It's a lot of Peter Spotton going <laughs> as, as all this river water goes in his gob It um, looks <laughs> really unpleasant to film Um, and it just ends on the Millennium Dome for like no reason like if they ended falling into the Millennium Dome it would be cool because you get to see the inside space but him sliding down it oh come on that's fun
0: that's like a good Uh, use of a pointless landmark
1: (laughs) this is this is just this this is just disappointing this has got big disappointing Millennium energy (laughs) Um, Uh, um, uh, the thing I will say and I'll say for most of these films that that Even the ones that I really don't like, like this, um, I feel like you do see a lot of the expense on the screen. Like the fact that they go and film in these amazing world locations. There's a sequence in this where he just goes skiing with a lecturer and then all his baddies turn up. But just the skiing sequence, you're like, yep, that's two people skiing down a huge fucking mountain Mm. and it looks so tangible and real and it just makes you realise that we live in this, like, how how unreal films are now and just no one films anywhere everything's blue screen like even these films there's a bit of traditional craft in them which like where i am at now i react to those things very positively so that's something like the whole bond series is a big tick for it it's like yes that is filmmaking you know
0: yeah yeah absolutely um i'm surprised you've got this like would you really Given the choice between this and Diamonds Are Forever, watch this, like, not watch this. Would you rather watch Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd do their uh, thing? Mr. Wint and Mr. Kidd are better henchmen uh. than fucking Goldie. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose, like, of their time in different ways there. Um. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: like, uh, to be honest, uh, I don't know. I'd say a lot of these bottom ten are, like, quite interchangeable for me.
0: yeah. I think that's like, kind of fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's fine. I, I was surprised actually. See, we, we were talking about doing this list and rewatching these films on Twitter, and I saw a few people go, "Oh, I always held the world's not enough to be the best of the Brosnans." That, that is something I just that does not compute to me. No. Like,
0: no. What I, was, I just don't know how you can come out of out of those those films and think that. But what I will say is, there's not a loads in it for me between the three Brosnans that are not Goldeneye like they are to me they are basically like similarly toned Uh, like not one i really like which we'll talk about well no i I, yeah okay well that's that's (laughs) well the clip you sent me from that one matthew certainly gave me the biggest laugh i've had in the last few weeks so uh, yeah we'll get to that um so yeah i i I gotta say that this one i really wish i could have rewatched this one beforehand so i'm happy to lean into your expertise here um i think it just wasn't overtly offensive just like yeah, middle of the road Brosnan basically and everyone's mm. fucking dunked on Denise Richards in this a million times who cares I do think the idea of a female villain is interesting they don't do that much in these um, these films yeah. um, just not just not the nearly the best version of what that could have been you know um yeah and yeah, yeah. robert carlisle i do agree with you that that's like uh that's rough what was that giant cg head of robert carlisle you sent me um oh that's when he's been briefed and they're like renard got shot in the head and that's why he can't feel pain
1: and they've just got this like 2001 ass uh ps2 render <laughs>
0: yeah of, of robert carlisle's head as a hologram <laughs> um yeah taken straight out of D- 007 nightfire that one <laughs> <laughs> oh very good right next up then um Number eighteen, the man with the golden gun. James Bond gets tasked with recovering a device that can harness solar energy. At the same time, he finds himself targeted by Francisco Scaramanga, the world's most costly contract killer. Uh, I rewatched this one. I was very fond of this as a kid. Like um, this is, I think like this genuinely an iconic villain in this. I think he's look, Christopher Lee is is really good. Like uh, just has so much, you know on-screen kind of presence um and the idea of a three-nippled killer that uses a gun that's like fires gold bullets and is gold itself that is like a fun um roger moore era concept um there's loads of pointless drudgery in this one though mm. um so i think like it's for its first third I was kind of like I was kind of digging it then there's loads of random bullshit in like a kind of martial arts place um, <laughs> that goes on for about 45 minutes completely fucking dumb like just really really naff um, and then I think it totally picks up in the last third on Scaramanga's Island which I think is a great set piece and actually original compared to some of the set pieces they would do in these films which felt very repetitive the idea of being in someone's weird domain that's got a bit of the old kind of like 60s Avengers quality to it with straight right, yeah uh, yeah that's like actually original and quite cool um and yeah like it has a good sense of place um Matthew do you think the uh, the portrayal of Knickknack uh, in this has held the test of time do you think that's a respectable <laughs> portrayal of that character
1: well, I, I, I was going <laughs> to ask you what do you think is Scaramanga and Knickknack's
0: deal. <laughs> Well, he he would suggest that he's like the caretaker, basically. But it's it's a way too there's way too much fucking real estate for one guy to clean, basically. And even well, so, that asks a lot of questions about that dynamic.
1: Yeah, so it's implied that Nick Nack is bringing these assassins to try and kill Christopher Lee. Mm-hmm. Um, which you think? Oh, is this like a training exercise? Is Christopher Lee basically like keep me on my toes by bringing assassins to my island? because i want to keep you know otherwise i won't be the best shot in the world uh, uh, later on nick knack explains that if christopher lee dies he inherits all of christopher lee's stuff <laughs> right. um which i that's just a, that's a, I, that that's what confuses me about the whole deal it's just he sort of hires hires this chap to Keep him on his toes. I guess he he motivates him with the promise of inheritance. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> which is just, oh, it's just <laughs> combined with the whole like, you know, Nicknack being a small person and quite quite. Uh, you know, he's um, what's that actor's name? Uh, I didn't write it down. I'm afraid he's the guy from Fantasy Island. He says it's the plane. It's the plane. Um, uh, Hervé okay. Villages. Villages. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, it is odd. I think what you said about the Avengers energy is actually spot on. This has got big, surreal 60s Avengers, which which I really, really like. Um, I just wish they'd had the confidence to have, like, just Bond versus
0: Man with Golden Gun through the whole film. Yeah. He vanishes for long stretches. Yeah, it's like, I think um, we discussed this offline, but a big tendency of the, the Bond films that are more than two hours long is to jam a load of bullshit in the middle of it um that like isn't really related to the plot or is tangentially related to the plot and that is basically what bond like having these like martial arts duels are in the middle and that dude yeah. turns up with those two girls that can fight and stuff and like it just all of that is a complete waste of time like, i agree with you like if the the interesting stuff is like bond versus scaramanga and it is because you get that bit where scaramanga kills a guy where in that street um where bond is present just to kind of like almost show off to bond like how how deadly he is um that's the stuff that's the most effective or like when he uh, kills that woman then like props her body up at that boxing match which is quite sinister like that all of that stuff works really well in this i think
2: mm.
1: yeah yeah <laughs> i just yeah i like I, I definitely i definitely think you're right about that last set act i just don't know if they ever truly sell you on scaramanga's amazing ability like he doesn't really do anything which where you're like holy shit like there's a bit where he shoots like a cork out of a champagne bottle but that's about as close as it comes to a
0: trick shot in the whole film. Yeah, but well, um, like all like I say the assassination though from like quite far range in the street Bond can't see where he is. Like that's Oh, I guess that's I guess that's impressive. Yeah, cuz uh, he could have killed Bond but chose not to. That's a good right. a good demonstration of his power. I also
1: suppose. um the golden gun itself <laughs> I think is one of the worst props. Is it like a pen and a lighter? It looks terrible. It looks... It's I I don't get the design of it at all. Like, the weird boxiness of it. I never understood it in the game, you know, seeing it a lot in, in GoldenEye, but I really don't. And when you see it again in the film, you're like, it just doesn't look cool. Nah. no, nah, it doesn't.
0: Uh, I do agree with that. <laughs> um... Yeah. Uh, uh, Props department really let down Christopher Lee in this one, I think. I will say that third nipple holds up quite well in 4K. I was surprised. (laughs) (laughs) I thought... I I paused and I looked at the screen. I thought, you know what? I thought I'd be able to see the seams on this quite easily. But actually, that's not a fairly convincing third nipple. The one that doesn't convince (laughs) is when... Bond is posing as Scaramanga and he has the third nipple I'm like oh that one it looks a bit off colour and gross and I'm like oh okay Um, so yeah that's my my take on it looks like a dead nipple (laughs) yeah Um, so yeah it's kind of enjoyable I did point this out on Twitter as well but um, Bond basically like making a very bad call for planet earth by destroying scaramanga's island which collects solar energy better than anything else on the earth like that technology would be good for humanity but he basically set us back like decades by destroying that um because he's in the pocket of big oil i assume got um fucking bp putting um giving him a kickback or something um all all because he uh, was wasting uh, some of it on like a a big like solar laser just destroy the laser but keep the rest of it it's pretty good that's my take Mm. on uh I think this items. is
1: this is during like a big fuel crisis in the UK right. that this one comes out. So I think maybe maybe like that stuff landed different. Like maybe you know the idea of 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 having a really good solar solution seemed even sexier at the time. You know, it's a smart thing, obviously, but it's you know on paper you're like. Mm. Doesn't sound like the most thrilling setup for a film. Yeah. But maybe back then everyone had been like, Oh my god, electricity. I can't <laughs> believe it.
0: <laughs> what I found really funny as well is like um when Bond arrives on the island, Scaramanga's like, Yep, yeah, we're gonna duel. But before we duel, let me give you a very detailed tour of my island and like every single every <laughs> single room of this fucking island. And uh, I was like, okay, yeah, that's very like Bond exposition-y. Um very I, th-
1: silly. I think I think his fun house does a lot of his work for him as well as <laughs> as a master assassin yeah. like is he a good shot or is he just really good at distracting you with bullshit
0: yeah does he just know where the fucking hidden mirrors are and, like the fake hallway yeah. and stuff um yeah. like
1: it isn't a straight duel. a straight duel on the beach would be and uh, now that's something I'd like to see that's 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 interesting would bond win that but actually it's quite quite a load of
0: nonsense, yeah I sort of uh I sort of agree with that. I have one last thing to mention about this, Matthew. What do you think about huh? his dumbass car that's also a plane? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, that's, that's weak. Yeah. How fast does that car have to be to like actually like <laughs> to become an airplane? Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I mean this 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 series has got a
1: lot of problems with cars that become other things <laughs> and how realistic that is. Or um, I think is it is it the beginning of is it Octopussy where you only live twice, which
0: starts with the plane that kind of comes out of the horse <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember it's um I don't think it's so you think it's Octopus I don't think it's you, you only live twice I don't yeah it's, no it's not that anyway yeah dumb dumb yeah okay next up then um number 17 Quantum of Solace another one I wish I'd rewatched for this an investigation leads James Bond on the trail of Dominic Green a renowned developer of green technology when Dominic assists a coup in Bolivia to fulfil his intentions Bond must save the day um so my my big problem with the Naffa craig ones matthew is that if like the story is not good in these ones there's basically nothing else to like salvage from them they are just dour not entertaining and like a waste of time um because that's what craig's got right he's like the tragic, sort of aggressive James Bond, very stern kind of performances. And so if he's just... If that character just placed in a boring plot, does nothing for me. Um, but you've rewatched this, and I think put it slightly higher than me, or maybe put it lower than yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I remember this being absolutely terrible, and I thought it was sort of fine second time round. Um, one, it's blessedly short. Like, it might be the shortest Bond film. I think it's like an hour 40. Nice. I mean, all of these films, there's they... I don't think there's a single Bond film which couldn't gain from losing half an hour. Um, this is that version. It's got. It's actually got pretty good momentum. It, it, like you know, because it, it picks up straight off the bat from uh, Casino Royale with the guy in the boot of the car. So it starts with quite uh, actually quite a well filmed car chase. Um, that's the other film. This film has. It looks gorgeous. Like it's. It, it looks expensive as hell because obviously after Casino Royale they knew you know, Daniel Craig was going to be, like, big business again and Bond was, like, really back. And this one, it feels like they pumped so much money into it. It it, it really does look like a step up. Um, Just, yeah, great location work. Some of the set pieces, you know, there aren't a huge number of set pieces and what here is a a bit undercooked. I actually quite like old uh, Mathieu Almirik as Dominic Green. Like, on paper, underpowered villain because he's, you know, just a sort of, a sort of philanthropist who uh sort of cons his way into juicy contracts on on various things and he's infamously trying to steal water from bolivia which is really dumb um (laughs) but the fact that he is so sort of like dweeby and sort of unassuming on screen actually makes him quite an unusual villainous presence um he, he, he definitely brings a different vibe to it um there's a, I think the sequence where Bond goes to the opera and uncovers the kind of the the conspiracy, and he sort of he sort of talks into his headset, and then they all leave, and he takes photos of them, and basically sort of sees everyone who's part of of Quantum all at once. It's actually it's a really good sequence. Um, it's it's you know it's dramatically very satisfying. It's really well shot. Um, the music's great. Uh, I do, I think the problem they have with this is that the the really big problem is that Craig's character is just meant to be on, like, raging through the world because of what happened to Vesper in, in, in Casino Royale. Yeah. And they don't really sell, like, Bond's gone off the rails, or this is really dangerous, mm. you know, like, there's meant to be this tension with them, and n- none of that lands. So uh, they've, they've got, like, a, in Craig, a, an actor who can play, you know, dramatic Bond well, but the actual drama they've cooked up for him, I think, is, is just a bit a bit wrong in this one
0: yeah i think that's all fair that was that was a big um sort of like sore point for me at the time as well is that i feel like the casino royale's ending very much sets up a second a second half to that story and this kind of like has that connective tissue very briefly then feels like it swerves into becoming something else and i kind of wanted it to be a much angrier revenge film than it than it is yeah um and it just doesn't really pull that off. How much do you think the writer's strike that happened around the time this was being produced, like, hurt it, Matthew? Do you think you noticed that in the writing at all?
1: Uh, I yeah, maybe that explains it. I, I, mean, I don't know, really you know, the inner workings of it. Because it's got the same screen, screenwriting team credited as Casino Royale. It's it's a supervisome way to the kind of... In house Bond writers from sort of mid Brosnan onwards. Yeah. And then they partner them up with other. With basically, whoever directs it brings in uh, their good screenwriter <laughs> <laughs> to, to make it work. Um, and it's Paul Haggis on this one and Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also a bit of a contentious figure now. Um, you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like, maybe, maybe like that, you know maybe it is the momentum which just just means they can't really land the kind of character beats you know it's it's trying to kind of deal with the fallout from one film introduce its own villain its own plot maybe it's trying to do a little bit too much in an hour forty, and that's its problem but Mm. um it, it it just as a technical piece of filmmaking it's it's just so clean that when you've come straight out of like watching a load of Roger Moore films, <laughs> something in you reacts to that and goes, "Oh yeah, this is like we're in the hands of we're in the hands of like modern filmmaking, but also like modern expensive filmmaking." Mm. Um, you know, there's just yeah, there's a bit in this. There's like a plane sequence where they jump out of a plane, and it looks so much better than the plane sequence in that Uncharted film. That's what I was thinking when I was watching this. Yeah, was just actually we've. How How is it that we managed to spend more on films in the last, you know, now, and they look worse than things from 10 years ago? You yeah. know, there's just no no physicality to them. Um, so, yeah, any opportunity to dunk on that piece of shit Uncharted <laughs> film, um, I'll take it. Or the MCU, that's like... Uh, <laughs> or the MCU, yeah. yeah, also blue screen hell. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, Quantum of Solace, worst
0: Bond theme ever. Oh, yeah, so bad, so, so bad. It
1: actually sounds out of tune like jack white doesn't sound in tune it sounds like they're having their first go at it like they haven't really worked out what the theme is going to be
0: yeah oh was it um dion warwick who did like a version of the theme for this It was actually amazing that you sent me matthew like uh, oh I, I i sent you a video that
1: was full of yeah other james but it wasn't shirley bassey oh maybe it was shirley bassey yeah bassey did a quantum of solace song um so yeah there's good. a video there's there's lots of videos on youtube that gather songs that were written for bond films but weren't picked or didn't make it for whatever reason and a lot of them you listen to them and you're like well i understand why this wasn't picked yeah because um, the people are they struggle to like bond themselves up in the right way just you know there's there's like a, a pulp one for tomorrow never dies and it just sounds like a pulp song right um uh it's a terrible Johnny Cash one. <laughs> <laughs> um Is that a Thunderball or Man with the Golden Gun? I, I think, think it was it. Thunderball.
0: Yeah. And it just sounds like a Johnny Cash song, but every now and then it says Thunderball. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and he stole a new, can he put it down? And he's gonna blow up the United States. <laughs> and you're like, oh
0: Jesus. <laughs> Thunderball. Yeah.
1: Thunderball, <laughs> Thunderball. <laughs> Uh, Terrible.
0: Yeah, I I do I think I do agree with your overall point about like higher end filmmaking. Um making these like an easier rewatch now. I've, I think I'm punishing Quantum of Solace and then another Craig one we'll get into very shortly, that I, I just think that I I so lackluster when it comes to plot and execution yeah. of that plot and characterization that it just I suppose I'm punishing that, but I do agree with your overall point that all of the Craig films just like look and feel amazing. They are proper blockbusters of their time, you know. Um, Yeah, yeah. so
1: much shameless like the the uh, product placement is just a lot more obvious in Craig because we're maybe aware of more of the products. You know, Mm -hmm. like in the 70s, you're not necessarily looking out for certain things. But in this era, you know, when there's, like, loads of Virgin airplanes in the background of Casino Royale and fucking Richard Branson at the airport, Ugh. you're like, Ugh. <laughs> oh,
0: no. He's so obviously sat at the Virgin first class kind of bar as well <laughs> when he's on that plane. Because like, I, I, I've seen that bar many times on press trips, of course, never going there myself. But. I, just,
1: I- I think if I owned an airline, I would not want my product placement to be in a scene which is about someone trying to blow up planes. Yeah, yeah. Because your association isn't like—I guess a Virgin plane doesn't get blown up, so you might associate them with safety. But it does, you know, it, that that the film's message is like airports and bombs. Is <laughs> is what you take away from it?
0: Yeah, so. it's, it's like the old um, FedEx and Castaway thing, right? Where it's like—I think in their case, they were like. <laughs> we won't give you a penny, but you can use it. And that that seemed like a fair swap to me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you need to blow up one of our planes, but um, and you literally can't make this film without us. Like, we're the only company that makes sense, but uh, we're not giving you any money because you are blowing up one of our planes, which is (laughs) not cool. Um, Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, okay, interesting, Matthew. Let's move on to number 16 then, which is Spectre. Um, this is quite low down. Um, James Bond receives an obscure message from M about a sinister organisation. With the help of uh, Madeline Swan, he uncovers the conspiracy only to face an ugly truth. God, these are so badly written. are um, So <laughs> this one, I've punished this one for being like so disappointing after Skyfall. A really bloated, boring film. Again, like amazing production values, like the... Day of the Dead kind of, like, um, parade bit at the start. It looks incredible. This this film looks incredible throughout. But Mm. it's just really kind of flabby and boring. And I'm going to be controversial here. I don't think Blofeld, overall as a concept, is a net gain for James Bond. I think it's like... Oh, okay. I think he's in more... He's he's used badly more than he's used well, I would say. Um, The Christoph Waltz one was, like one of my least favourite Christoph Waltz performances kind of slightly just slightly smarmy but not sinister and not like um, there was no real reason to draw his um, his background to James Bond I think to James Bond I think that that yields nothing in the plot of this film Um, and the the, but the big one is I'm afraid that Daniel Craig and Lea Seydoux both phenomenal actors do not have any chemistry together Um, 100% and that's yeah it's a killer a huge a huge problem with these films so, what's your take on this one,
1: Matthew? Yeah, uh, uh, again, the disappointment after Skyfall. Um, I think I managed to talk myself into thinking this was quite good, and then I went to rewatch it, like at the cinema, I watched it again once once it had come out, and I was like, actually, no, this is bad. Um, it has one of the most inert bo- car chases in any Bond film. <laughs> Where it's just two cars driving like the same distance apart with like no interaction, no Chris, Chris cutting It's really odd. It's a bit like where you have like you're allowed to have a car brand in, in a racing game, but it can't take any damage. So, like, all the fun bit of driving in a car and crashing in a car is, is taken out of it. That's what this feels like. That just felt like product placement. Two cars driving very safely through Rome or wherever it is. Um, that's really poor. I think the whole. <laughs> the film doesn't really make any sense Because Blofeld is trying to engineer This meet with Bond Like he basically wants Bond to come So he can taunt him and give him all this shit So why is he trying to kill him for the whole film <laughs> Like even on the train to his base He sends old Dave Bautista to try and murder him <laughs> And you're like this doesn't make any sense do- Like you either
0: do want in there or you don't Like what's going on It takes ages to actually get to it as well with him um, To actually get to Christoph Waltz uh, and Yeah and when he's there he's just like nothing um, he just blows up his base, and that's kind of it, isn't it? It's like it ends quite quite abruptly. Yeah, he
1: blows up his base, and that sort of turns him into scarred Blowfelt. That's that's what they try and do. It's like, oh, this is why his eyes all kind of messed up, and they also try and do this sort of, you know. Uh, this was always planned from the beginning you know these films try to pretend that like all the bo- all the 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 craig films Oof. have been like pl- plotted from the start which just isn't true no. um you know sam mendes has come out on record and said you know my big regret with specter is that we just didn't have time to do the script and like work it out properly in the same way that we did with skyfall mm. which is why it doesn't really have a story it's just it's just a journey with action set pieces along the way um yeah and this you know given that this crate this this bond is defined by uh, you know a great love of his life the love of his life who he's kind of like lost and has kind of like you know completely kind of fucked him up the idea that this person he has no chemistry with is going to like change that or is is going to somehow fix all that and and become the uh, you know the emotional core of uh,
0: no time to die as well it's just it's it's a pretty hard sell. It's really tough. It's like it, there, are, there are a few problems with it. I, I think Lea Seydoux is an excellent actress. Um, more broadly, it's like I think the character is a little bit underbaked. Like um, mm-hmm. she doesn't have much of a sense of inner life. I need to stop saying that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. It doesn't feel like she has. They a... should have got the fucking God of War Ragnarok team to write her.
1: <laughs> you want inner life? Have have a fucking five hours of inner life. And a talking
0: squirrel. <laughs> Yeah, you need to go for a very slow ox ride through this uh, jungle, and then you might like La see do more. How we use this podcast to dunk on Ragnarok again? Amazing. Um, yeah, so that's, that's just like a massive problem, and I just... It's not something that can be... Uh, chemistry is not a thing you can actually fix, is it? It's not like you can force chemistry to happen. It's either there or isn't, and it just... Yeah, it just so clearly isn't there. Um the final dunk, um, Sam Smith's Spectre theme is fucking shit. Um I hate oh, it. Yeah. Um, yeah not like the the music itself, like overall is like is fine mostly, but um, it's just the lyrics are really lame. It's like yeah, so but bits of pop boy bandy. Just we can we can do better, guys. It's um, just nothing. Yeah, and I don't actually agree that the Radiohead ones are good for either. They just need to keep fucking trying. until <laughs> they got a good one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, such um, as this.
1: The, there's the the one sequence I do love in this is the meeting of Spectre. Like that's cool with all the shadow where you don't really get to see both out, and then they they kind of cast the light on Bond and everything. I I do like
0: that. Do you think? Do you think Spectres ever like again like a net gain for these films? though? the idea of like a. Uh... Like, do you think they ever make the idea of this shadowy organisation that hangs over multiple films plots ever really work or pay off? Because I don't think there's any evidence of that in this entire series.
1: <laughs> I, th- I think there are scenes that work. I like the idea because in the early films, it isn't specifically Blofeld; they all use numbers, and there is an idea that there's a there's an organisation that ties everyone together. It's one of the things in in the in the books. Um, all the kind of villains have a much more. Uh, like fixed role in the organisation, so it, as a structure, it makes a bit more sense. Like Goldfinger is like the treasurer of the evil organisation, for example. Hmm. Um, and so I sort of understand the desire to bring that into the films and have, um, you know, have have this connective tissue and the idea of this sort of sinister. But they don't like make enough of it. You know, they they were quite self-contained films to begin with, and so I can understand the appeal of them wanting to like. Have this, this, you know, this sort of through line in the Craig films. I just don't think they kind of, they don't seed it early on because it's quantum to begin with. And then it's like, oh, actually, it's all about this spectre organization. Um, yeah. Sort of like make, make your mind up, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But that's, that, 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 that almost is where you need like, you know that's like the that's like a mistake that like the Mar- Marvel would never make. You know they have someone who has complete oversight of the whole thing and they know how it's all going to fit together. It really does feel like the Bond films. They, they they start a new one and then they're like, right, what are we going to do then? Um, which makes it quite hard to make a a, a truly connected piece
0: yeah which is makes it so strange that they decided to even do that in the first place because Casino Royale very much suggests this is going to be a connected ongoing story um yeah and then yeah I would say that Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli the you know stewards of Bond are like are like producers who are stewards of values but not plot or character you know what I mean like they've got an idea of what they think the values of a Bond film should look like but yeah, if they were more on it, they would have been like, okay, here's how this entire we've got a rough three or four movie plan. Here's how this'll pay off. And then ideally we'll get the same directors back a couple of times and link this together, which they almost do with Mendez, but obviously he haphazardly throws it together and it doesn't amount to much. Um mm. Jeremy actually wrote a piece to me on Tet Radar about, about this. Um about how um how Daniel Craig's Bond films are um serialised but they don't fit together. I think that's what it was it was Something mm. like that, and that's very, very true. There, yeah, just no connective tissue there. Um, yeah, real, real waffly. I will say one funny thing: do you remember? Maybe I, I imagine this, but do you remember people speculating that Batista was gonna play? Um, what's his name? Uh, fucking Odd Job. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I was like, I <laughs> like. I'm pretty, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that's what like people were speculating was going to happen. He turn up with a hat, but be a fucking giant man. Like I'm, uh, maybe see, I if they that.
1: wanted, if they wanted to
0: do proper like Marvel up these films, yeah. they would have had him become. They would have
1: had Christoph Waltz becoming Blofeld, and then they'd have had all these amazing A lister talent at the end turn up for a mid credit sting where it's like, you know, his John C. Riley is Goldfinger, <laughs> his, um, you know, his. F- f- Tom Cruise's Drax his <laughs> and it's kind of like oh shit they're gonna reboot the whole Bond
0: universe <laughs> yeah that's uh that's like a yeah that. That feels like something they might threaten us with next time they do uh, they do Bond. Yeah. Um, if I was put in charge of Bond, I would do. A, I would
1: weave in a bit of that for sure.
0: I just don't. I don't know that I ever need these films to be serialized. To be honest, like I think I'm fine with them all living in isolation. Then on their own terms, they can succeed, and they're not weighed down by the others. Which is why so many of these yeah. Marvel films are shit because they're all connected together.
1: Yeah, um, but I would have a. Yeah, I, I. I just don't mind the idea of Spectre as as like which person from Spectre is going up against Bond. That would That's all the connective tissue you need. Like, Bond doesn't need to be the same person, even. But I like the idea of kind of, like, right, <laughs> like your turn now. Okay, um, yeah,
0: that's fair. All right, then. Um, well, I'm sure we'll revisit this, because we've got loads of Spectre films left to come. Uh, number 15, Thunderball. A Spectre agent steals two atomic bombs from a NATO plane. James Bond is assigned a mission to recover the warheads and put a stop to the evil plans of the criminal organisation. Um... I found this really just dull on a rewatch compared to the... I feel like there was was a a decline that kicks in with the Connery ones. They find the formula, then it just goes into decline. But the main problem I have with this one, two things. The intro, where he gets the jetpack and beats up that guy who is dressed as his own widow at his own funeral. That's (laughs) fucking dumb. Um <laughs> and then um but then like the amount of boring underwater set pieces at the oh. end. <laughs> so so boring. Um so I found this a tough hang, but you had some quite funny things to say about this one too, Matthew, when we were discussing it on uh, on Discord. What's your take on Thunderball?
1: Yeah, I mean well
0: just to go back to the Spectre thing,
1: I think there's I Spectre do appear as, as a shady organization uh in this, which I quite like. Um I think this one is like this is this is like the most Austin Powers one. This is the one it feels like Mike Myers was actually riffing on. Um, like when he punches the widow and it's actually a man. Because there's that gag in Austin Powers with the, it's a man, man. Um, which is just ripped off from that. It's got the chairs, you know, the chairs killing people in the council. Um, just the idea of stealing stealing warheads for uh, nuclear threats. Um, I'm trying to remember what my hilarious take was. <laughs>
0: Isn't this the one with the exercise? Sorry, the massage bed. Um, and Connery has to do a lot. Is that this one? Oh,
1: that right. That's that's the, the most undignified <laughs> bit of Connery. Is he gets put on this yes massage chair at this like health spa, and then someone turns it up to max, and the idea is it's going to like stretch his spine, but stretch him to death. But. Like obviously the machine isn't doing that, and to to act this out, he's just having to very aggressively like dry hump a massage table, <laughs> and it is it just looks awful. There's no way Sean Connery, knowing what we know of what Connery was about and like,
0: that he would have watched that and thought, "Oh yeah, I look cool." <laughs> yeah, I actually th- I actually like made some detailed notes for these early Connery ones because I had okay. I, I had I had very very loose memories of seeing them. So for this one, I wrote. Um, beating up a man dressed as his widow and flying off in a jetpack is the dumbest thing in these films so far is this going to be the campus one yet oh i see this is the one that inspired austin powers the most rough <laughs> optics on bond kissing his physical therapist against her consent although honestly again horrified more by connery's hairy legs that was like uh just how hairy <laughs> connery is just like surprising He's throughout this so um get in the spine stretching machine mr bond and he does after almost dying he blackmails his physical therapist into having sex with him a moment later and to think these film people reckon these films aren't progressive <laughs> <laughs> um this one wastes loads of time in a health spa almost 30 minutes but finally starts to pick up when eyepatch man feeds his lads to the sharks that is pretty good i think that's the first time that's in these films yeah um, <laughs> by this point bond already feels rigidly formulaic I'm not convinced this does anything better than Goldfinger. Indeed, it's just longer and more languid. I think it's the first one over two hours. This as well, um, yeah. So yeah, the yeah uh, that's that was kind of like my take on it basically. Is that, and also mm. the villains were becoming campier. You kind of noticed that in this one. I think this is actually this was like a breakthrough film in terms of its success in North America. Like this was like the biggest one at the time, just absolutely enormous. Right. And so that that might be why this one registered with Mike Myers more than maybe some of the other ones did. Right, um, right. But yeah.
1: It's also celebrated for some quite groundbreaking underwater action cinematography, which I imagine at the time, if you hadn't seen... You know, something like that, that would be amazing. But what it actually translates to now is it's just very slow set pieces as people. And there's one where there's like a 10 minute sequence where they reclaim a missile from a crash plane. Yeah. And it's just like watching a like an instructional video about how to do that. Like, it's just not interesting at all. And yeah, come the big kind of fight at the end. Yeah, just too much too much water stuff in this
0: (laughs) yeah i was actually watching it thinking is there going to be like an underwater base in this and then it's going to all kind of uh, that's where this is going but i was like no that's the spy love me and like this is yeah this is not that film this is just there's going to be lots of looking around in water and then lots of fucking harpoon guns firing underwater (laughs) and and then the film will end and that'll be it uh yeah not very good um or like it's it's okay. It's okay. It's just like yeah, it's it going slightly off the boil, um, the Connery films at this point. Next up then, Matthew. This is quite high. Maybe this is wrong, actually. This should be lower. (laughs) 14, Live and Let Die. Uh, Great theme tune again. Um, James Bond is sent to New York to investigate the mysterious deaths of British agents. On his journey, he meets a voodoo master and a tarot card reader. (laughs) It's so elementary. Mm -hmm. Um, So this film, massively racist. Um, (laughs) Really strange. Like, I assume... when you read about this people are saying okay it's like reflecting the black exploitation kind of like um you know movement in cinema and that's fine but i would say the way it's portrayed makes it just seem like bond is like um white guy against black person conspiracy and like the film doesn't do doesn't really have like much much more to say than that in terms of why anything's even happening in this he's just like basically you know lured into this Uh, you know this kind of world uh that he's like you know with where he's trying to like basically rescue this this white girl like it's got really like bad vibes when you watch it now um (laughs) it's quite hard to explain exactly you just have to watch it and it just gives you the sort of yeah gives you gives you a bit of cursed vibes um but it's like it's got a few bits i quite like uh, I like the club he goes to that's got all those different tables that flip over and take him into the enemy's lair like yeah. every single table in that place seems rigged to go to a different room which is quite um <laughs> quite entertaining um but yeah do I like anything else about this I don't know if I, I don't know if I do that much it's just I suppose it's just not quite as boring as some of the other more ones um yeah. what do you think Matthew
1: yeah, I I think that's it. Really, like it just shows you some stuff. It, you know, it's it's quite uh, insensitive, obviously. Throughout, um, like I don't, I keep thinking about how when I was younger, a lot of these films are, are your first exposure to <laughs> like other cultures. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, is, it, which may sound mad given how daft they are, but like the idea. I, this was definitely like the first time I'd heard about like voodoo and New Orleans New Orleans and the the idea of like uh, you know and this sounds really dumb when you say it out loud but like you know sort of of black cultures around the world being you know different to what we had in the UK necessarily you know you know it's I I still think it's like a film that like shows you a load of stuff maybe it's, it's it's poorly done and um uh you know very like you know like i say wide the mark um, in how it depicts all of those places and cultures um, but i kind of i sort of, i sort of do like it for, for for trying in a way of like being a different place it isn't just a, you know it doesn't look like the other bond films you know it's it's quite distinctive in terms of the places they go to um, yeah i th- i think i think it's like i think it's okay
0: um, oh, you know, f- I'm not saying I'm going to put up like posters of it on my wall or anything, <laughs> but should do a, a uh, problematic New Orleans film double bill with this and Angel Heart, Matthew. That might be good. Other <laughs> than <laughs> the little theater, um, just part of a giant problematic face festival, <laughs> yeah. be very popular here, I think. Um, yeah. So the other thing is, I, re- I actually really dig the bit at the start where there's the fake funeral and they kill the guy and then put him in the coffin. And then the music turns jolly. Yeah. That rules. <laughs> that's really yeah, good. That's really
1: good. That's yeah. much better than the funeral barge in whichever it one. This one, the one in Venice. Um, where there's like a funeral barge, and then there's like an assassin inside. He pops out the top and starts throwing knives at <laughs> his Bond in a gondola. Um, in terms of like, if we were ranking Bond fake Bond funerals, uh, live and let
0: die, that's much higher. Much higher as well than the the dude who dresses as his own widow. Definitely better than that as well. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Problematic, but like, I don't know. It's 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 still entertaining. I would say that's, not boring. Yes, not boring. Um,
1: it's got some good, a good. It's got the henchman with like the metal claw. Is it T. He? Oh yeah, yeah. He's probably Baron like, Samady. Obviously iconic. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would say that the henchmen in this are probably more notable than the main villain, who's not very interesting. Is it King? Kananga or something I think he's called yeah, yeah. Who, who sort of like puts on weird
1: prosthetics
0: to disguise himself as Mr. X <laughs> yeah which obviously looked like a guy in disguise as well It's particularly oh he just comes out with, like, with a big pot rubber face like Gary Oldman is <laughs> Churchill <in. laughs> yeah um, yeah very sort of bizarre and also um, I did burst out laughing at the dumbass death in, of that villain where basically Bond puts some kind of inflatable <laughs> thing in his mouth then he becomes a big balloon man and pops um, very silly <laughs> Um,
1: yeah. Uh, also, the, the, the script, which you know, it's like black exploitation, which is obviously you know aimed at an older audience, and this is kind of the soft version. And you can hear like some very prim and proper screenwriters delicately, t- delicately tiptoeing around which words they can and can't use. Yeah. I think there's a couple of honkies. Yep. Uh, I think they say they say pimp mobile
0: uh, at I, one point. I don't know if they say it, but like certainly they're trying to tap into that world probably using a lot of dictionaries um yeah <laughs> yeah it's got big if once if i had to write a black exploitation film yeah it
1: would probably sound like this
0: i would also say this um this has like the best felix lighter in it as well um who's like the one they bring back later on for license to kill uh i like this he's like the most the most memorable one i think um in my head this guy is so kind of makes such an impression that you the Felix Leiter here that I I sort of thought he was in more films than he actually is, but he is just in the two. Um, right. Do you like that? Do you have a, an opinion on Felix Leiter's, Matthew?
1: Yeah, I, I can't say I'm like crazy about um, modern Felix Leiter. Um, nah, doesn't do much. What's his name from Westworld? Jeffrey Wright. Um, Jeffrey Wright, yeah. Yeah, he's just a bit, just a bit sort of drab, isn't he?
0: Yeah, David Hedison was the one I'm talking about here. He's uh, yeah, will only appear once, sixteen years later. <laughs> like, really strange to actually dip back and, into. And this
1: then world. you only get to really see like half of them. Eaten.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoiler alert. Um, so yes, good. Um, number thirteen, then Matthew, the Living Daylights. Uh, so the first. Dalton one I think most people probably have this higher than license to kill in their lists Um, James Bond must cross several continents to confront and defeat an arms dealer who is conspiring with a Soviet general to start another world war for profit oh that's what's going on in this film is it because I had no fucking idea after watching it (laughs) Um, has like a great intro in Gibraltar Matthew where um, Dalton looks fucking amazing as he kind of like parachutes in um, to this training exercise that turns out to be basically a bunch of his mates being killed uh, that's really good. Um, the other 00s die
1: way too easily in that sequence. They are chumps, aren't they? They just like... like, given what we know about how adept 007 is, it's amazing that this other guy kills. I mean, they really die in dumb ways. Like, he literally cuts one of their climbing ropes and just falls to his death.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, can I actually... Uh, do you mind if I read to you? uh because i think the plot of this film is so confusing um someone tweeted at me when i when i tweeted about this film saying um with this letterboxd review um that actually explains the plot of this film which i think is so confusing um right. it's from uh, matt lynch on letterboxd um it's taken me 25 years or so but i finally actually fucking understand the bad guy's plan in this and i just want to write it down for posterity a soviet general fakes his own defection to the West and recaptured by the KGB, both to stall for time and to gain Bond's trust in order to trick him into killing a key rival. After he is caught diverting state funds meant for an illicit arms deal, which he intends to exchange for diamonds to be traded with the Mujahideen for opium, which he will then send to Europe, sell into Europe at a massive profit to be split with the arms dealer. (laughs) That is so complicated. Um, You watched this one recently. Did you find it quite hard to follow?
1: Yeah, I felt like this was trying to kind of react to a what was the sort of political culture of the time uh, unsuccessfully. Like, it's kind of gritty, but also just really, really confusing. Like, fundamentally, the villain is some Russian guy and a, and a, quite a bad uh, American general played by Joe Don Baker. Yeah. Uh, who comes back as his mate in GoldenEye. Because <laughs> there are only um, five actors, Matthew. So, uh <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's that's odd. Um, I, I I rated this one quite low, I think. I, this this really didn't do it for me. Um, I, I was struck with how good Dalton was in the role, like I said. But I just think the, the film's so so confusing and boring. I don't think the set pieces are particularly exciting. I find the kind of icy Bond girl, the kind of Russian cellist, a, a little kind of hard to root for as well. Like, she doesn't have much sort of chemistry with Dalton. Maybe that's like the Dalton era, though. It's not like...
0: He's not as handsy as more, so it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, he's not. He's like quite romantic, but he's not super physical uh, in terms of how he. I know. Yeah, he doesn't really project that same energy, does he? No. Um, there's. I, I guess
1: that's the whole story revolves around. The Bond girl is the partner of the Russian baddie, yeah. and obviously they don't know he's a baddie at this point. And Bond's sort of using his friendship with him to say like, "Come with me, I'm going to take you to him." So he's he's not kind of, you know, molesting her or whatever because you know she's kind of spoken for by his mate at this point. Um, there's a bit in this this
0: film uh i don't know if you remember did you rewatch this one i rewatched this one uh, i last watched it last november so i didn't feel like i needed uh, okay. to okay but i have i have there erased it, it from my memory there is much. a bit in this film which
1: is basically just a hitman level and it's absolutely amazing how how hitman is <laughs> which is where the baddie like the baddie's henchman is this sort of strange blonde assassin uh breaks into a house Dressed as a milkman, he knocks out a milkman, oh, steals yeah. a milkman's costume, which is a classic hitman. Hitman goes in, <laughs> he knocks a guy out in the kitchen, instantly puts him in a freezer using basically the freezer bit, hiding animation from Hitman. <laughs> and then when the when he finally gets caught out and the scene goes to shit, he starts throwing exploding milk bottles, <laughs> which has got big.
0: I fucked my hitman <laughs> run <of> energy. <laughs> Yeah, that whole bit is quite a bit of a strange energy to that whole sequence, Um, but yeah, that does, that is, that did cross my mind actually when I watched it. Um, That's like almost exactly what you can do in that first big level in Hitman 2, isn't it? Um, The original Hitman 2.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's I must have watched this film. Like, actually, when you watch a lot of these films, you, you, you know, something you do take away is Io's hitman films uh, hitman games are like they take so much from bond Mm. and like they are the natural people to make the bond game which was the point of our
0: incredibly unpopular second (laughs) Uh, Uh, yeah so maybe in a couple more years that game will uh, finally surface i look forward to to and
1: then that episode will explode in popularity
0: (laughs) yeah suddenly like yeah our patreon like triples i was just so into your 45 minute james bond episode um, Okay. <laughs> okay. Good. I got nothing more to say about this one because I just think it's yeah. it's kind of confusing. And Dalton, Dalton being good is the only main takeaway from it. Really, there's not a lot mm. else to like really love about this one. Apart from the Aha theme tune, which I really like. Actually, that would have that would make my top ten themes. I really did five. So what can you it's do?
1: It's got it's got a like a secondary sub theme by the Pretenders, which the bad guys
0: always listening to on his headphones. <laughs> yeah, it's like the runners-up prize. You know, you either go to the yeah. end credits or throughout um okay next up then and the other dalton film is back to back here license to kill after his friend felix Leiter gets maimed by a drug lord it's actually a shark <laughs> uh, more accurately james bond <laughs> seeks revenge on him <laughs> with the mi6 refusing to back him uh bond takes matters into his own hands um so i was 50 50 on this but license to kill is just more coherent than the living daylights it's a little yeah. bit goofier a little bit sillier um a bit more violent kind of like a, it's more like a like an 80s kind of arnie thriller or something yeah Um, yeah 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 so yeah a bit more american feeling you know Mm, only one which is a 15 i think right okay yeah um but these days it's fairly tame i would say um a man being eaten by a shark partially aside Yeah. Um. like the violence is a bit there's that man who gets exploded in the decompression tank yeah that's really good Um, And then, like, you can see Benicio del Toro get mashed up in that machine near the end, the drugs, uh, you know, the drugs machine or whatever it is that mashes up the drugs. He is a handsome young man. Yeah. um, (laughs) He looks fucking amazing in this. I was like... Yeah. He's he's also a great bastard, like a great sub, uh, sort of, like, um, sub-boss for Bond to fight, basically. yeah. Uh, He's like that bit where he's like... uh, don't worry, we gave her a nice honeymoon. Yeah. <laughs> He's like but That's like that's 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 a young actor who's like, I've
1: got maybe whatever, ten lines in this film. Yeah. I have to make myself known. Like this I have to capture the attention of the world. So how will I do it? By saying honeymoon in a really weird way. It
0: fucking it lands though, it's one of the bits you remember the most. Um yeah. I gotta say, it's actually like It's again got a load of boring bullshit in the middle with um, Wayne Newton. Um, And like, it's like a a bit in, is it his casino? Um, Where he's just, they're just watching this phone line thing with Wayne Newton. And it's just really fucking dull. And it basically, (laughs) what it needs to do is get to the final drug factory set piece a lot faster than it does. Like, again, Mm. lop 20 minutes out of this film. Um, Also, the American girl uh, assassin, uh, a sort of woman he meets in it about halfway through but she's not very good not a very good actress and like the the chemistry is definitely not there with Dalton and her um but i don't know it's like Dalton on the warpath is like the best thing about this film he's just really, yeah. really angry properly wants revenge is incredibly violent him running away from MI6 is pretty rad um him kind of escaping Bit- there are very few Bond films which have like a very neat, easy to sum up plot yeah. of
1: like, oh, it's the revenge one. Or it's the one where he's fighting the other assassin, or it's this one. I, you know, I I think they're definitely stronger when they actually have a a plot outside of what is the villain's plot. Yeah. Uh, which is revenge and what happens if Bond isn't a secret agent anymore and, and you know, goes rogue.
0: Yeah. It's also um I think like the the bit at the end where he goes don't you want to know why then he shows him the lighter and sets him on fire it's like Robert Davi on fire is fucking great that's like the maybe the best Dalton moment in uh, that he gets it's just so aggressive and like needlessly violent like I just I really love that also Robert Davi is a proper like a great shit-eating uh villain in this like he's just like such a piece of crap um like it's not not like m- many layers to him but you just see how unreasonable he is, how much control he has. So it is like you know cathartic when you see Bond finally get his revenge. Mm. Um, and I do like the idea of using Felix Leiter as like the the revenge plot rather than like a woman he likes. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. that's actually quite an interesting um, wrinkle. Um, just yeah, still... I mean, Mrs. Leiter also gets done in. Yeah, she has a rough time in this <laughs> for sure. Um, yeah, so uh yeah yeah. It's also quite goofy at the start when they make that arrest and then they arrive at the wedding. It's all a bit like it's yeah. a bit Roger Morris in places this one.
1: Well, that's why it's quite shocking when it goes from that to like he's being fed to a shark.
0: Yeah. It's also got um Everett McGill from um Twin Peaks and various <laughs> David Lynch things absolutely chewing scenery as the corrupt cop um watching when he watches Felix like like to get eaten by the shark. That's um his his facial expressions are definitely overcooked there um but it is also rad when um, bond hits him with a briefcase of money and he falls into the shark tank that's really good uh so yeah i quite like this one um i'm surprised that people like the living daylights more than this i think if people went and rewatched um, them back to back you would realize this is the stronger film uh personally mm. okay moving on then uh number 11 tomorrow never dies a matthew castle special james bond and undercover agent <laughs> Site descriptions are so bad. Uh, um, James Bond, an un- undercover agent, sets out to prevent a media baron, Elliot Carver, from waging a war between China and the United Kingdom after he gets summoned by the Secret Intelligence Service. So, Matthew, why do you like this one so much? Uh, I just think I think Jonathan Price is
1: is a really goofy villain, but he's 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 in it from start to finish. I think he's a really he's he's a really good through line in this. Um, I like the pairing of. Uh, Brosnan and Michelle Yeoh, not not from a like a romance perspective, but like she's just such a good action presence. This film has a couple of quite good action set pieces in it. Uh, you know, I like the bit where they jump from the tower and pull down the poster, and I like the bit where the helicopter chases them on the motorbike and chops up the town. I think that's that's exciting. Um, really, I just I just think this I just think this one sort of holds together a bit better than than you know it is a silly one, but it holds to get together a bit better than some of the other sillier ones i have to ask you about jonathan price's media <laughs> empire I, it makes me laugh every time he says magazines <laughs> in this film yeah which he says a lot because obviously at the time having a big magazine empire would would have been impressive you know he's got newspapers magazines tv and i guess they're sort of pushing into the early internet um but it's just every time he boasts about his huge magazine division, it just makes me think of like what it would be like to work in that magazine division and how it just doesn't, you know, like just fast forward ten years later and <laughs> that division would definitely be a problem for Jonathan Price's <laughs> media cover empire. Um, He's like, I'm losing, like be, I'm losing if, serious he'd money. On to, this. He'd be trying to offload it to feature, probably. <laughs> um, is how that would have worked out. Um, uh. Also, like. His whole plan involves uh, setting up a kind of... Basically engineering a conflict between the UK and China in the South Chinese seas by making it look like the, U- the UK Navy's been attacked. And he fakes this attack and then they film it. And he thinks this is the story of the year, that a small crisis is in the South China seas. And he says, I want news, magazine stories, books, radio, TV, films... <laughs> Which I just don't think the thing that he's engineered would make a good film. I just cannot see a world where anyone would watch a film about a British Navy frigate sinking in the
0: South China Seas. <laughs> I think I think he's a terrible
1: media baron.
0: <laughs> yeah. I gotta say that that entire media baron element is why I don't really like this film. Like I think it's it's a bit like um Matthew Amalric in the um in Quantum of Solace where I like, I mentioned this on the original Bond episode, but I like a villain who gets his hands dirty. And here, him just like um, sort of um, doing his like naff monologues about the news just doesn't really do anything for me. Um, quite boring when it comes straight after Sean Bean, um, just like absolutely bananas, kind of like terrorist, former yeah, double agent it's... in um, Golden He's just so meek by comparison. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a scenery chomper, though. Oh, I mean, it sure is. Should we talk about the bit where he um, pretends to do martial arts, Matthew? <laughs> Oh, it's a bit where he sort of does some sort of like kung fu noises oh. towards Michelle Yeoh, which is just in- incredibly racist, powerfully racist. <laughs> as he put it in? Uh, and I watched it back, and it was like there's a there's a shot of Jonathan Price from behind in that clip that is like a proper "What the fuck are you doing, my man?" kind of element to it. Uh, it's just yeah.
1: uh, it's just funny that like. Seeing him now in like the crowd, I like Jonathan Price. I'm not dunking on Jonathan Price, and I don't want Jonathan Price cancelled for doing, um, you know, a silly bit of 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 whatever he does. <laughs> the end of tomorrow never dies, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an eye opener. I, what I think is really funny about that end scene. Um, is that the big standoff revolves around whether or not Ricky Jay gets shot, <laughs> the, the magician? Yeah, which is, is like it's just it's just very funny to me. Where he's like, "I'm gonna kill Ricky Jay unless you back down," <laughs> and you're like, "What is this film?" <laughs> um, yeah, that really that really tickled me.
0: Yeah uh okay yeah I, again like I, I don't really see there's not much in to divide this between um the other two brosdans in my head they're all kind of a piece oh, to me but, I, but if you like it that's fine with me
1: i like to i i think this is the first one i saw at the cinema right so it just feels a bit special to me i quite like the start where bond's tr- trying to get out of that base before the missiles crash into it oh yeah that's, um, right, that's, got ski, that's quite yeah, exciting I, I, yeah i like the car that he drives with his mobile phone Oh yeah. Um, incidentally controlling a car with the world's tiniest trackpad (laughs) on a mobile phone no one can fucking drive a car with touch controls no like i think bond is the only person who'd be able to play gta on an ipad
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny um yeah okay i think this is a fair place there are like there's definitely a movement of people on twitter who talk about bond who like this film so yeah i know andy kelly's a big fan for example um,
1: yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm fond, but it, it pretty just landed at right the right time. Um, yeah, you know, maybe it's unfair of me to put it th- this much higher above. Die another day, and t- and uh, the world's not enough. But um, adds color to I
0: think there there is a difference. Okay, fair enough. Number ten, then No Time to Die, the final Craig film. James Bond is enjoying a tranquil life in Jamaica after leaving active service. However, his peace is short-lived as his old CIA CIA friend Felix Leiter shows up and asks for help. The mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist... Which half of him? <laughs> the mission to rescue a kidnapped scientist turns out to be a far more treacherous than expected, leading Bond on the trail of a mysterious villain who's armed with a dangerous new technology. Um, something I think worked up against this film is how overhyped it was, Matthew, because I think it ended up getting up with something like five or six trailers because the pandemic happened and they didn't know that was yeah. going to happen, so... Um, I interviewed Lashana Lynch about this film as part of a tech radar, like, mobile phone tie-up thing um, in, like, February 2020, and then right. the film wouldn't come out for another 18 months, maybe a bit more than that. So, you know, that, that was tough. Um, it had been a long time at this point since Spectre as well. It least six years after Spectre, so there's a lot of anticipation. Everyone knew this is the last Craig one. Um, and I just found it quite stodgy and boring um, and just didn't really dig. I uh, did not dig at all. The Rami Malik villain in this who just did did nothing for me whatsoever. It again hinges a massive part of the film on um Lea Seydoux. and you know, again, we know they don't have chemistry together. They are kind of like a bickering couple in this, I don't feel the love whatsoever. Um then this film makes the fatal decision to have an absolutely fucking rad sequence with Anna de Armas um as a kind of like another agent. <laughs> And her and Daniel Craig have tons of chemistry. So when it goes back to Lea do, it's properly like, oh no, this is like, (laughs) all this does is illustrate the problem more deeply. Um, and then yeah, the film like the film struggles to have fun outside of that sequence. I would say, um, and then ends with like killing off the main character. Oh how bold! Have a fucking round of applause at what such a fucking self sacrifice naft storytelling decision that is. Like did nothing for me whatsoever. However, I get the impression you like this a lot more than me, Matthew. So why don't you go from there?
1: I liked as before. I like how it looked. I think it's I think it's quite quite well made, quite well filmed. There's some there's some quite nice shots in it. Um, I think. You know, F- Phoebe Waller Bridge famously did a, a script pass on this. I don't think it's howlingly funny, but I think there are some funny lines in there, some funnier lines in there. You know, um, from from the the Bond series. Um, you know, I think the reason a lot of people credit her with why the anadama stuff feels quite sparky and fun because um, it's just quite an unusual character, and I think she's thought to have written most like that's that scene
0: yeah, um, she's got a, but she's got a name on the film she has to like be responsible for all of it as well and like there's no saving that layer. they do stuff it's all boring
1: oh no, no 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 not not at all um but i think there are some like interesting like the opening sequence to this which is like almost like a weird sort of serial killer sort of slasher film scene in her house sort of flashback is is kind of interesting um that is
0: good actually but, yeah i agree with that yeah
1: i i, I can sort of see because because they do serialise the these Craig films that they want to have a kind of more permanent end on it. Um, I just think like the emotional kind of core of what they're trying to achieve really butts head with the very convoluted plot by which they achieve it. Right. That this that they basically like an hour of this film feels like it's dedicated to setting up the idea that there is this poison which if it's in your bloodstream you can never remove it and it only activates if you go near your target. So all the stuff with Christopher Waltz coming back is basically to show the mechanic of this this poison and the second they do that you're like, well, we all know that this is ending in tears because of this poison. And Mm. that that, that really, like, stinks up the second half of the film. Um, I just... I I really do like the first half of it. Um, I know you don't like the reuse of the... uh, the (laughs) Honor Majesty Secret Service queue, um, but uh, I think there is something quite sort of swooningly romantic about that. It really kind of... I don't know. It really got me in the cinema, and I was like, oh you know these films aren't films which kind of get a huge reaction out of me even at the best of times outside of just simple enjoyment um so I, that it did kind of tap into something in places I, I thought really worked um rami malek very poor you are right about that i don't think it's i don't think it's stunning like it's it's probably like a three star film for me but um yeah that was that was that was sort of good enough um that, that annoyingly they Rami Malik's sort of whole deal he's like this evil botanist with like a poison garden is one of my favorite things from um the bond books that's in uh you only live twice yeah uh, where there's like a big kind of Blowfelt lives in this castle in Japan and has built a garden of poison plants. That's why Bond goes there because the Japanese government uh, say all these people keep going to commit suicide in this poison garden and they want someone to go and shut it down and I always thought that was a really ghoulish idea and I was really, you know, when they sort of introduced this I was like, oh cool, they're going to be doing the, the Only Live Twice stuff from the book and actually they just sort of abandon it. There's a lot of stuff in this film which could be good if they just
0: sort of lent into it a bit more but it's a little bit of everything and sort of a whole lot of nothing. Yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd completely junk Billy Magnuson from this film as well. I'd chuck him out as like yeah. undercover US. I, I, like, I don't even know if you need all that whole sequence with Felix Slater in this. Um, they just kill Felix off for no real reason either. Uh, which, yeah. yeah. It's weird because
1: it's quite similar to the David Harbour character in Quantum of Solace. Right. He's like another goofy, weird US agent who sort of has it in for Bond. Yeah. Um,
0: odd. An odd beat. Yeah, very strange. And also, at this point, it's been quite a long time since Felix Leiter was even in the films. so I don't think he was in either of the Mendez ones, was he? He was just in Quantum of Solace and Casino Royale, so... Yeah, maybe. I think... that hmm. I think that's right. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, so, like, yeah, just, again, I think hype was maybe not on this one's side uh, a little bit, so maybe I'm being a bit harsh there. How's that cool sequence where he's going up the stairs, the one-shot sequence where he's beating all those dudes up on that island? That's quite cool. Yeah,
1: like there's 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 some good like filmmaker stuff in this i think and, yeah. and the base the base even if Rami malik's weak his base is quite a classic bond villain base and a, a more successful version of that than i think they they've done in the craig films like, yeah. it felt like a good marriage of silly
0: bond and craig bond yeah evil tracy island basically yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay cool uh number nine then is the first bond film dr no Um, This seems high, but I actually do like this film. I I watched it, um, again, like, I had to do a proper refresh on some of these films. Um, It's strangely paced, doesn't quite feel like the other Bond films. Um, It's much more like a straightforward spy thriller in its first half, but there is, um, it gets up momentum in its second. Oh, I've got to read out the plot. I'll do that now. Uh, So, um, Agent 007 decides to battle against an eccentric scientist, Dr. No, who is determined to ruin the US space programme. For this purpose, he journeys to Jamaica to nip in the bud this megalomaniac peril <laughs> oh these are so bad um yeah again this one's like uh, got a couple it's like a little bit cringe and uh, a bit racist in places um so uh dr no is super cringe when you meet him um the funniest thing about this one was the amount of times that um Sean Connery is looking for this... You're looking for this agent in this film called Strangways. And the amount of time that Sean Connery goes, Strangways, he says that about 400 times in this film. <laughs> I noticed that. Um, but I, I, think, I think this is a really solid first effort. I can see why... People would dig this and dig the idea of these as a kind of ongoing adaptation off the back of this. It's got a lot of like iconic moments in it. Um, Has that strange like people think there's a dragon, but it's actually just a giant tank that sets people on fire thing. That's quite interesting. Um, it's a, it's just a bit anticlimactic when you meet Doctor No, but otherwise, I think it's a perfectly perfectly fine film. What are your thoughts, Matthew?
1: Yeah, but basically the same. It's interesting, like the the pairing of this and From Russia with Love are like the two flavors of Bond, mm. and they both kind of get sort of blown up over time you know you can either do subtle bond which they don't do that often or you've got kind of henchman you know evil layer at the end bond um which this is like the prototype version of um i just think they they very quickly surpass it with a film we'll talk about in a sec mm-hmm. so it's um he says but like people don't know it's fucking goldfinger <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so um uh yeah like you know I like it. I kind of respect it. I don't really ever have a, a crazy desire to rewatch it.
0: The thing that elevates these films above the more ones is that A. Connery is a lot better than Moore at being James Bond. That's like really basic. Yeah. But also, there's something about the '60s ones and the production design in the '61, the '60s ones that holds up really well. They just look so beautiful, and they mm. feels like they use a lot more kind of like. Uh, sort of like older buildings as settings, and just kind of like a yeah, more of a classic cinema aesthetic to them. Um, mm. Whereas they become a bit more amorphous and in the seventies. Um, so yeah, it's uh, that, I think that all these films still look very beautiful. Uh, yeah, not much more to say about that one, Matthew. So let's move on because uh, we have many more Connery ones here. So number eight is You Only Live Twice, an American space capsule supposedly gets abducted by a Russian spaceship. <laughs> However as james bond discovers that specter is responsible for it he embarks on a mission to unearth the motive behind it this is a weird one matthew because i think this film is actually mostly bad but the end set piece the last third of it is actually like phenomenal um so it's Mm. kind of a weird one it has all this very problematic japanese bond stuff that like definitely does not stand the test of time um but then, yeah, like I think massively picks up like the volcano base, the Blofeld's volcano base is like an amazing bit of production design and gives it so much life. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you feel similarly about this one. Yeah, yeah, basically. Though again, a bit like the
1: live and let die, the, the the kind of Japan element of it, you know, I I always found very exciting when I was younger, and I still like that about it, even though like you have to take it with a huge pinch of salt <laughs> when. Um, he uh, <laughs> disguised himself as a Japanese guy. Obviously, like that isn't good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's 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 kind of exotic and fun outside of the the badness.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably um, that's probably true. I think your point about this being your first exposure to some of this stuff as like you know like a ten year old or an eleven year old living in the UK is kind of true. Because where else would you see you know you see this stuff and yeah, yeah. Um, like
1: my idea like yeah if, if i had to describe what japan was like for a long time it would have been based on the japan i saw in you only live twice
0: <laughs> yeah um,
1: even the sound of it like the music the soundtrack to this film the kind of sort of like plucked strings or whatever like it just sort of, i don't you know it's burnt into my head of like i know mean, it's terrible isn't it like oh that's the sound of japan but it, that does happen with these films well, carefully
0: don't get yourself cancelled here, Matthew. That wasn't the goal of this podcast. That... No,
1: no, the, so, you know, when <laughs> no. When you're a kid, you don't. Have, you've only got the frame of reference. You got. It's not the, the internet. I can't. I can't go on YouTube and <laughs> watch a two-hour video of a man walking very slowly through Tokyo with a GoPro. <laughs> you know, that I... didn't exist in whatever 1994. I <laughs> so
0: I think I think they recast Blofeld very late in the day for this one. I think um, right. the guy they got for it, Donald Pleasance, is is really good. Like he's. A perfect fit for the Connery era of bond um and it is weird you get such a tiny amount of him then they never bring him back like it just seems like the obvious de facto choice to just keep this character playing this character throughout right like he makes you know the voice and everything it's everything that dr evil is based on is is from this version of the character um so yeah extremely bizarre uh but yes um, uh, yeah like like I say I think like very flawed uh in a lot of places but you uh, the, of all the connery sort of like finales this is the one that lands more than any others by uh by miles and miles mm. um, it's also obviously what um the simpsons hank scorpio parody was based on was right. this, this base at the end um cool okay next up then from russia with love uh, james bond searches for a lector cryptographic device that has the potential to wreak havoc in the world and stop spectre a secret crime organization from acquiring it um i more think of this one as the um the one that's got the rad orient express bit at the end matthew which i think a lot of people do that's where yeah. a lot of um what james bond is comes into focus when he's dealing with that um the kind of like uh you know basically the villain explaining his plot and then them, them kind of fighting it out that whole sequence is rad um the rest of the film is okay i can sort of take or leave it a little bit um big uh big gypsy fight guy <laughs> yeah i made notes on this um uh weird horny girl fight sequence goes on for ages in this film. Um the first half of this is a bit incoherent and very slow. Um but again the production design is fantastic. Um there's like the the opening boobs, uh, sorry, opening boobs, <laughs> the opening credits are not <laughs> I wrote down the opening sequence are not not super good. There's like a lot of ass and boob shaking even by the standards of this one. It's very very embarrassing. I love the opening boob sequences in all of these films. <laughs> There's also, like, it's very, very naff James Bond mask at the start of this one as well. Like a oh. big, that's super lame. Uh, Please,
1: don't. I, I love the pre-credit
0: sequence of this one. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's just that, that mask is naff, but then um, having watched Live and Let Die and seeing the Mr. X mask, this mask is at least yeah. good by comparison to that. I'd say the, Bo- the Bond films, they need to get a new mask guy. <laughs> <laughs> the absolute- I bet the mask guy also made the golden gun. Yeah. This is like this is very much the template firming up though isn't it. Um I think like the the Spectre agent executing his plan is genuinely good has like good sort of sinister undercurrents. It ends with an absolutely bonkers final sequence that old Spectre lady disguises herself as a maid <laughs> <Rosa> and a club. <Kleb. laughs> yeah, tries to kill Bond with a poison knife in her at the end of her shoe. Um, And she's shot dead in Bond's hotel room and he quips to uh, to his lady companion that the theme music kicks in and the film ends. (laughs) And it's like, it's completely bizarre. It's like, I've just killed killed a woman in my hotel room. But, you know, let's pop out. We're in Venice. Let's go have a nice time. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, very
1: bizarre. Uh, Yeah, like, uh, I I would actually group this in uh, that thing you were saying about um, Licence to Kill, about, like, a film which has a kind of a neat summary the idea that the Russians have trained a super agent to kill Bond is a really good hook. Yeah, um, I, I think they get distracted from that, like with all the the, the a lot of the, the gypsy stuff. <laughs> it just doesn't involve him. Um, I would love a film which is just him clashing with Robert Shaw again and again. Yeah, because um, that those are definitely the best bits. I love the opening where it turns out to be a training exercise for Robert Shaw, and ju- and you know they're basically like this guy's going to fucking kill Bond, and then the credit music kicks in, and you're like. I am, like, goddamn! that is a great, like, opening to a film. It just makes me really pumped for what's going to come. Yeah, then the, um, then the
0: opening boob sequence kicks off. Yeah,
1: and then the boobs start shaking. You're like, oh, can this film get any better? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it's just got, like, I think the thing which shows the biggest gulf between, like, this and where the excess of, like, the more films is if you compare Q... And what Q makes in both of them, right. like by the more films, the joke is what has Q put a machine gun in? So more like we'll walk through his um, lab, and they'll have like a big sort of um, opium pipe or whatever, which is a doubles as a machine gun. Where in this one, Q just makes a suitcase with a fucking knife in it. Like <laughs> it's, it's just it's really stripped back and cold. He's like, here's a suitcase. It's got a knife and a gun inside, and yeah. that's it. And you're like, well this is just a very different era and age and, and i
0: dig that yeah i agree with you that, that all of that is um all of that holds up quite well i think as a kind of like holding the line on the tone somewhat that's why actually i found um thunderball such hard work because he gets when he gets in the jetpack you're like oh it's, it's we, we've lost it now it's already gone you know what i mean you can't get it back yeah. you can't put it back in the box now um so yeah, this this just kind of holds up very nicely. Uh, yeah, I do like Robert Shaw sort of tracking him throughout the film. That like work mm. that works quite well. Um, but yeah, the payoff is uh, is very good. So yeah, yeah, very good film, very good film. Um, number six then, Matthew is Goldfinger, uh, which is the highest we've got a Connery one in here. I would have put this above the highest Moore one, but we'll get to that. Um, MI six <laughs> agent James Bond investigates a gold smuggling ring run by businessmen. Auric goldfinger as he delves deeper into his activities he uncovers a sinister plan to attack fort knox's gold reserves the plot is bonkers in this one and i must admit i watching it the first watching it um, recently i did i was a bit like oh i kind of like didn't really get a massive threat level from goldfinger as a villain but right. like i must admit watching some of the later connery ones made me appreciate this one a lot more um it also has yeah, obviously an iconic secondary villain in odd job i, I dig that Um odd job like driving killing people and driving their cars to like the car crusher um to have the (laughs) bodies smushed is is also very, very good. Um So yeah, I think this um this holds up holds up pretty well despite the extremely daft plot. Has the laser sequence in it, which is a great bit of tense filmmaking um generally the filmmaking is pretty good the action's a bit um up and down like um they hadn't worked out how to edit yet so connery looks connery <laughs> is terrible at um hand-to-hand combat in some of these early films and like by the time they get to lazenby they've um they've done that they're doing these quick cuts to make the combat really like interesting and stuff but him fighting odd job is like two guys you can't fight just having a having a wrestle basically um yeah i dig this what, what, what's your take on this one Matthew?
1: yeah like for me this is like the ocarina of time of bond films <laughs> like it's it's just everything you're gonna love about Bond everything's done just right maybe I'm a bit over familiar with it now like maybe it doesn't excite me as much the idea of watching Goldfinger isn't you know doesn't like fill me with with joy but I know it's great and it's it's just a great solid definitive Bond film
0: yeah also um i would say that like uh oh god forgive me saying this but the pussy galore is like one of the better like female characters in these early bond films like has a surprising amount of agency you know uh, like
1: mm. kind of control it doesn't over just get blood.
0: like slapped around by connery right ex- exactly um the the really dumb thing about the Fort Knox set piece is when the army has to pretend to fall asleep that's really silly um because they change the gas <laughs> in those planes like that's that's really daft um but yeah it's uh it's yeah it's, it's yeah it's real good this real entertaining i think yeah like like you say maybe again i will say goldfinger is a tough hang when you've seen goldmember like it's it pulls on <laughs> the the very slight specific strangeness of that character i suppose um pulls mm-hmm. out a few key elements that you can't help but feel seeing in that character when you're watching it back but he plays it pretty straight um and he is like he is quite ruthless and yeah i would say he is the most successful of these um these connery villains so yeah um number five then matthew on her majesty's secret service james bond sets out on a mission to defeat blofeld who hypnotizes beautiful women to fulfill his evil motives <laughs> meanwhile he also falls in love with a crime lord's daughter jesus i think they've maybe like slightly missed the point of this one um we talked about this one quite a lot on the uh that episode we did matthew so this is mm-hmm. the reputation of this one has greatly improved over time after they did, they did the um the connery films decided to get dafter and connery was disillusioned with the role he leaves um so they decide to make this more realistic version and uh the editor i think is it peter hunt the editor who um directs this one um he was the editor on the previous connery ones and it helped to find like the the pace of these films um so becomes the director here um has this uh has loads of things i love for this film uh i do absolutely adore adore this film um like the opening sequence with uh, uh, sort of like Tracy, the you know the um, the character played by Diana Red going into the sea, and then the kind of fight playing out from that. It's quite dreamy, dreamy opening sequence. I love the kind of like uh, the Alps sort of setting of this. Um, this the kind of like uh, Blofeld's base looks amazing. Uh, I I think this is probably my favourite Blofeld as well. Teddy Savalas, he's got a sense of physicality and threat that the other ones don't have. Um, he's not quite a sort of campy. Uh, and strange um i think that like it's ladies and feels more vulnerable than connery did so this film ends up the film's plot ways he's, he's like kind of seems a little bit scared in places actually fits quite nicely um the only thing i don't like about it matthew is the bullshit hillary bray sequence in the middle which i would lop out entirely or cut down um mm. but everything works really well Then of course the ending uh, where Bond actually does get married, does fall in love, does commit, um, ends in tragedy, is an absolute like gut punch that still lands every single time I watch it. It's like absolutely devastating. Um, this is a yeah. This film's reputation has greatly improved, as I say. Uh, do you think that's justified?
1: Yeah, it's still one of those ones where you watch it and you think, what was the thinking behind this? You know, the idea of passing the torch to a new Bond is difficult in itself, and if anything, you'd think that would be an invitation to play it safe and just give people the kind of bond that they know and love, to kind of give them a new bond and such a strange like, different world of bond where people talk about stuff which isn't just the mission you know, people talk about love and relationships, there's that very strange bit where um, Dinah Rigg's dad kind of lectures him about him getting married and what it was when he fell in love and it's it's, it's sort of wistful and completely takes its foot off the the blowfelt kind of mission gas pedal to just spend time with characters talking about whatever sort of takes their fancy. It's, it's very, very odd, but also I do love, I do like that romance
0: in it. I think the actions are a little bit undercooked in this one. Um, oh, I think the fists really land in this one, like the editing, the quick cutting fighting. That actually really works mm. for me. Um, uh, yeah. Maybe I'm le- I'm less bit. Uh, maybe the the nineteen ski chasers like. Uh... Yeah,
1: that's it's it's the skiing again. Just does you know? I just feel like these films have got loads of skiing because you know, the the producers and the actors just wanted to go and hang out in a nice ski resort <laughs> for ages, you know, in between filming, which I imagine they did. It's like, um, the one
0: I cut is the um, the avalanche that goes off, the one where um, Bond and Tracy <clears throat> are going down the cliff, but that one, and Blofeld is also skiing after them. <laughs> I, I'd, keep, I'd keep the final bobsled chase. That's quite, quite... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. oh that's fine.
1: yeah, that's fine. That's, that's, uh, bobs- I wouldn't classify that under skiing. That's fine. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not anti-snow. I'm just anti-skiing. Right. Um... So yeah but it's uh, this it's interesting how this one's turned around like when we were teens this was like we had no time for this one at all. I don't think it's one you can necessarily enjoy when Roger Moore is also speaking to you. Um, yeah, yeah. I think you have to be a bit older to enjoy it. It's it's a bit more sort of sophisticated. It's even more it's definitely it's like even more romantic than like the the Craig ones when he you know he's a bit more kind of vulnerable um yeah,
0: Very odd, yeah, very odd film. I'd also really love the way that, um, the sort of like because it does bond goes after Blofeld's space undercover and then he has to escape, and then sort of like, um, Tracy, who hasn't been in the film for about 20 30 minutes at that point, like suddenly just reappears and is part of the plot, and it works, it works really well. Um, and then it kind of like just means that they manage to land the final moment, like, uh, like really, really well. It helps that you know. Um, B, I think Lazen B is the more I watch it, the more I think he is he is he's 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 like good and could have been great if given the time. Um but obviously it helps that Diana Rigg is an excellent actress. Um and yeah. it kind of really elevates the film. And like Telly Savallas is also as I mentioned, he's also excellent. Um yeah, yeah, it's uh it is, it, yeah. Lazenby was like a laughing stock to me as a kid. I was like, oh, it's so lame. He only got, he was only one film because he was rubbish, kind of thing. And then, yeah, like you say, you need to be older to appreciate it. And then your your opinions change a bit when you see those more ones back to back, and you kind of wonder as an inflection point, what if this film had been mega successful? What would seventies Bond have looked like? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah.
1: Like it, instead, it's Sean Connery and Dunn's Alfreda, and you never think, oh, this is a man whose wife has just died. No.
0: He's like uh, he goes goodbye Blofeld in the start, and then like ducks him into whatever that bubbling liquid or whatever he is. He uh, he dies (laughs) in at the start, and like yeah, it's just completely just ignores it basically. Um, So yeah, a strange one, but obviously has left its mark because they um, they had to steal a big bit of it and for no time to die in order for it to have any emotional resonance. So, uh... (laughs) (laughs) but maybe a cynical take there um (laughs) number four then matthew the spy loved me i know it's a big matthew castle favorite after the royal navy polaris submarine carrying 16 nuclear warheads mysteriously disappears james bond teams up with major anya amasova whose lover he had killed in austria um so this one there was like a three-year gap between this and the man with the golden gun which um, they were thought it was going off the boil so they took their time to get it right and i think it results in maybe you know one of the Definitely one of the most confident blockbuster bonds that they made. Um, A perfect fit for Roger Moore and a really interesting dual agent storyline where Russia and the UK basically have to team up in order to overcome this villain. Has Jaws in it, has that rad underwater base, has like a fantastic underwater set piece as well with the car. Um, Just fucking phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I watched it yesterday and had a great time. Amazing opening sequence with the uh, the parachute in the ski chase. Fucking great, Matthew. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, absolutely, a, a complete agreement. I think I think this really, really holds up. The stunts are really exciting. The set pieces are really imaginative. Um, all that stuff I kind of reacted to, obviously, as a teenager, very positively. What I don't think I appreciated is, like, the Bond girl in this is really good. Barbara Bach, she's really good in this film, and she has a role, like, she's a through the whole film as well. You know, it's the idea of like Bond and his Russian counterpart kind of going on an adventure together. Gives this film just a lot more shape than mm. a lot of the other Moore ones. It's kind of you know East and West together versus this this m- m- mad bloke who wants everyone to live under the sea, um, which is it, it just shouldn't work because it is as stupid as all the other Roger Moore ones. Yeah, um, but it's it's just funny how these little tweaks really land it. And Jaws is like uh, just a brilliant device yeah uh, you know he looks terrifying he actually does bring like a proper strand of horror to it like it's he's filmed as you would a slasher film like he's michael myers basically and like when he when he's stalking them around um the pyramids and then when he turns up again like in a cupboard on the train it just um that's a genuinely you know, scary it, moment that is like <laughs> yeah, you, do, you don't it's... expect
0: it and there's a horrible scream sound that kind of like loud train noise behind it and it really makes you jump i think yeah I would say a uh, tough break for the
1: other henchman who gets introduced at the same time as Jaws <laughs> Sandor, who is just a very heavy set man who <laughs> gets tired running up some stairs and then pushed off a roof you <laughs> know um it, you know there's a reason we aren't unlocking him as a character in all <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, just the globe the world looks amazing that you know all the different places they go to Egypt and there's um you know, driving the Lotus Esprit around Sardinia looks like absolutely incredible. Forza Horizon Two DLC, <laughs> uh, a lot of time for that. Um, it, actually, the role of Jaws in this film made me think in the Bond game Iowa making, Jaws as an unstoppable Mr.
0: X style oh, character. That'd be rad yeah
1: he's just someone who's pursuing you
0: constantly that would work as a as a as a mechanic i think or like you can um he's like a modifier you can add to an existing level so when you go back and replay you add jaws and then J- <laughs> you have to so he's just jumping out of cupboards uh, you just have to complete the objective but jaws is also there uh that would be really cool um like jaws <laughs> mode that'd be good <laughs> you and i could definitely on that it's funny on that bond episode you and i spend a long time coming up with what that entire game is um yeah so uh I, no, no doubt we uh yeah we have plenty of ideas for that one um yeah so uh, yeah I, I i kind of agree with all of that i should correct myself actually this is the film that has the uh, lawrence of arabia music in it not uh, for your yes. eyes only that was my oh right yeah, yeah yeah um it's funny as well when you read about barbara back <laughs> every single comment says i cannot believe she married ringo star <laughs> <laughs> which is really harsh on ringo i'm sure he's very nice and uh has uh has, i mean literally one of the most famous men in the world i mean come on yeah his age very very well um yeah so i think yeah all of that stuff works it's like it actually shows that if you just if you put the time and effort into making sure every bit of the filmmaking actually lands. It doesn't matter that Roger Moore's otherwise not a particularly great Bond, like uh, if everything else around him kind of works. And yeah, again, has the magic of um, (laughs) a boat stealing a submarine, which is, you know, (laughs) preposterous, but works really well. Um, the final set piece on that boat is really, really good. I'll um, oh, say in the underwater base is really good. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a kind of shame that they do bring Jaws back and kind of waste him, but what are you going to do? Uh, yeah, yeah, everything everything about this is just like, yeah, all the right pieces are in place, you know? Mm. Um, yeah, great stuff. So, number three, Matthew, GoldenEye. The highest Brosnan one by Miles here. Agent 007 along with Natalia Simenov, I hope I pronounced that right, travels to Russia to locate the satellite nuclear weapon stolen by Alec, a former agent who Bond believed was dead. That is so incoherent as an explanation of this plot. <laughs> um, so yeah, again, like there's a long hiatus due to legal issues between uh, the between Licence to Kill and this. Dalton kind of resigns from the role. He was probably slightly too old by the time the mid-90s rolled around. Um, so they get Brosnan, who looks fucking amazing in the 90s, extremely handsome man. Um, and do this really interesting plot where basically bond leaves his friend slash uh mi6 colleague to die uh and then it turns out he's not dead and he is actually like the main villain behind the plot of this film that works really well um mm. good like post cold war bond you know with like re- remnants of the of mother russia kind of vibes to the villain um and yeah just like and lots and lots of great set pieces i think you have to speak to like this this film strengths right like it's you know, from the jumping off the dam, obviously, to like the um, you know, the actual like the slow creep in the gas canister room when um, uh, with uh, Oromov and Bond escaping right at the start to the obviously mm. the tank in St Petersburg It's full of great set pieces. Um, Matthew, I know this is one of your favourites.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, impossible to untangle from the video game and how important that was. Brosnan is the gamer's Bond. I'd say it's still like silly Bond, but. It's it has like a flavour which is just completely distinct to Brosnan. You know, it's it's jokey but it isn't too jokey. You know, it's stern where it needs to be but it isn't too stern. It's it's just a very specific balance that they never ever find with Brosnan ever again. Like I think he goes, he leans more, and more uh, Roger Moore, post this. Yeah. Everything is a bit is a bit dafter. Like really, every line with Brosnan is is a is a gag. Um, after these films, but this isn't the case. He just looks great, like he's the right age for it. Every, everything feels iconic, and I don't think that's just because of the video game and having spent so many times, so much time with these specific characters. Um, but like Xenia on a top, classic. Boris, absolutely classic. I'm invincible. Come on, that was like people were saying that in the playground for years. Oh, yeah. That Alan, was, Alan coming just... with
0: a Russian accent is like an underrated part of why this film works, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's really quite I think you know maybe the actual plot at the heart of it is is
1: isn't like brilliantly strong. Um but the character work in the actors they have and the execution of the action where they have it is is really exciting. That dish at the end is just a really spectacular location as well. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm like I'm pretty sure this isn't just nostalgia for the video game talking. I'm pretty sure this is a this is like just
0: a a a good action film and a great Bond film. I think 30% of it is the game personally like i think it just it you can't (laughs) deny the the texture it adds to like all these different scenes and locations you see for like you know a minute that become entire levels you spend years in you know um but i I definitely think it's clear far and away the best brosnan one um it was like the perfect bond for that moment when it really needed a shot in the arm um sean bean is a great villain as well uh lovely girl tastes like strawberries that's like a A a top sort of like shitty villain line, Um, very very good. And uh, yeah, I like the I like the kind of dual element of well, it's like a triple kind of threat, really, isn't it? Between Orimov uh, Xenia and um, and uh, Alec Trevelyan, they're like a Mm. good good trio of villains. And yes, the uh, that sort of like observatory or whatever they used for that final um, final set piece is terrific. I think that's collapsed. That collapsed in recent years. That that whole like um, the cold cradle uh, bit. uh, Yeah, it
1: fell onto Alec Trevelyan. (laughs)
0: Didn't you see the film? <laughs> <laughs> uh so yeah, big fan, big fan. Um yeah. even get a little bit of Robbie Coltrane and inexplicably Joe Don Baker uh, works at the CIA. Now. <laughs> Back from the dead this time is your friend. There are only five actors. They got up there to make do with what they had, Matthew. Okay, top 2. Uh number 2, Casino Royale. Special agent James Bond embarks on a mission to pre- prevent Le Chiffre, a mob banker from winning a high-stakes poker game, he is aided by Vesper Lind, a British treasury agent. Uh, must have missed the treasury bit to be honest um so yeah like a real kind of like cut back uh, sort of back to basics responding to mm, perhaps slightly unfair criticism of die another day or at least you know exaggerated criticism um to make this very realistic born infused uh bond film matthew how did you feel watching this at the time as someone who was paying close attention to um bond in the cinema
1: Oh, I loved it. Um, I was. I was so pleased because so much shit was talked about Daniel Craig being Bond. Oh yeah. There were there was so much hate towards him from like the dumb press. You know, your kind of tabloids and it, I do remember. And this is a this is a very like of its time reference um chris Moyles had like a huge anti daniel craig campaign which i think was called bond not blonde like yeah. his beef was that that bond was blonde it was like you can't have a blonde bond and then that he turns along and basically turns bond into like a powerhouse film franchise again yeah it was such a good fuck you to all idiots and that's not a reason to love a film but it's you know it's part of it for sure um yeah, like, he was thuggish and different, but you also see the formation of the character. Um, I love the pre-credit sequence where just really succinctly shows his two kills he does to get his double-A status. Um, he has genuinely brilliant chemistry with Eva Green, Amazing. probably some of the best chemistry of any Bond and Bond girl. Amazing, yeah. Um And, it, 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 you know, there's very few Bond films where the best scenes aren't like the action scenes or the set pieces but in this like the, the, the chat between them on the train is like an all timer I think um, where they're like sizing each other up and kind of getting to the heart of each other I think it's, it's just like it's really it's, it's well written well acted it's, it's, it's a thrill um, like weirdly rewatching this one I actually think the big problem with Casino Royale uh, Casino Royale is um, it's the card game itself I think is not very well filmed and not very exciting and not entirely clear of, like, if you don't understand poker, it's basically impossible to follow. Like, you have to wait for everyone's reactions to know whether or not something's good has happened to Bond or not. Um, which, given that it is the central set piece, and quite boldly so, like, I like that they stretch it out and there are, like, action beats, like, around this card game. Uh, I that's something which didn't really you know i didn't really have a problem with that but re-watching it, i was like oh this actually isn't as a thriller scene i don't think this is very good um but i know that y- you had more beef with the airplane right
0: uh yeah it's just that that feels like the biggest like bit of the film i didn't really need when bond's like in the airport and there's like a you know like that chase sequence so i just uh, like a Race against time. I didn't see what the point of that was or why it was mm. terribly relevant to the plot. That's why I. because they needed to show Richard Branson. <laughs> that's how I felt last time I watched it. It was the one set piece I'd forgotten was in the film. Um, right. Because I just. Because it felt redundant to me. Like I don't think, yeah. think you need it among everything else, but maybe they just felt like they needed one more large scale s- sequence. Am I wrong? Yeah. There? Is there a plot relevant reason that's in the film? I can't remember.
1: Well, the whole thing is that Le Chiffre's trying to blow up that plane to tank the stocks. It's the fact that the plane doesn't blow up and all his shorted stocks fail on him, and he ends up in debt. That's why he has to play the card game. Yeah, okay. But just... the third act, yeah. of the third act of that film is just setting up that Mads Mikkelsen loses money and has to play a card game, which you didn't need to do <laughs> two extensive set pieces to set that up. Even though I love the parkour chase across the buildings. So oh, I love that. Yeah, not got, yeah. not got a problem with that, but. Yeah, and and I'm not saying like the card game. You obviously need the card game. It's at the heart of the film. I just I feel like in the hands of maybe a like like a better like thriller director, that could be a truly killer middle act. Like I I thought Casino Royale was my favourite Bond film, but rewatching it I was like ah it's a little bit weaker than I than I remember which is why it didn't quite make the top
0: for me I felt the same way as well um it took what it took last time I rewatched this I thought I wish this like I wish I felt the way about this still that I felt about it in 2008. 2000- Uh, Seven. When I watched it for the first time, like this is just such a punch out of nowhere. Like I was just so so into that Daniel Craig version of Bond. I think like a lot of people, you know, say that the uh, the film Layer Cake is a big reason why Craig got his break, and that's well worth watching. I think in tandem with these Bond films It's a kind of like evolution of the actor. Do you like that film? It's it's real good. I think. Uh, All I remember is Michael Gambon going welcome to the lie cake (laughs) (laughs) well michael gammon's really good in that film but craig's like kind of a proto bond except he's like intellectual money man bond who has to get his hands dirty like it well it just i think you just see a lot of the character what would become the character forming in that film um really really good really entertaining Mm. um often on you know fucking prime or netflix or whatever just pops up for like six months and goes away again um so yes uh yeah like a, just yeah it doesn't quite hit in the same way but obviously has another kind of like devastating ending um but, but because it gives like uh so much screen time to eva green it means that it doesn't feel like kind of ruthless or tropey that they just kill her off to motivate the main male character it feels like they earn that moment very much so yeah 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 okay good all right um plus it has the bit where he um has to they have to use the defibrillator on him that's quite thrilling isn't it that's uh pretty exciting um that's like the most that's probably the biggest leap they take with the tech in this isn't it he's got a defibrillator in his fucking car uh
1: yeah because yeah. he doesn't they don't really reintroduce the gad the proper gadgets and you know q's not even in it until Skyfall. so yeah um they kind of sk- they skip all that stuff i just i like the little i like the messiness of the fight in the toilet at the start and i love that the the traditional bond shooting down the barrel is him shooting the guy in the toilet i thought that was a really classy touch
0: yeah i also um and i did like the chris cornell uh, opening theme to this so that was pretty good pretty you know very mm. different to represent the different take on bond i also think that if i was to level one criticism one more criticism of the craig films overall is the slow creep of like extra mi6 characters i don't really care about um there's just too <laughs> many of them by the end like it's, it's really simple when it's stripped down to just like m and bond in this film i think it works incredibly well um and then it's like I don't need Tanner, you know, in it. <laughs> Tanner's in the, in the... He's in other ones as well, I think. I think he's in some of the... Um, More ones. Pierce Brosnan ones. Yeah, no, Tanner, Tanner has appeared before. But you've got, yeah. like, but, uh, Inspector, when they're breaking into the headquarters, and it's, like, M and um yeah m and q and then uh money penny and then i think like maybe tanner's along for that i can't remember um and I think like tobias menzes is in this one as well as just an unnamed underling for m yeah who i think i feel like gets market corrected by tanner right like it just <laughs> bumped bumped from the lineup um so yeah i don't really like that they come it becomes a bit too much of a all oh, the gangs all here thing and i, I actually really did not dig um ray fines in that role like i much preferred the, the judy dench um version mm. of that character uh, so yeah that's 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 also what I like about this. Just so it's stripped down in every way. Um and that can mm. and it works very well. So number one, Matthew. Skyfall, an ex MI6 agent, steals a hard drive with top secret information to carry out a vendetta on Bond's overseer, M. Bond must face this past in a bid to try and save M. Watch this one again this week. Fucking amazing. Um like, if not a five star <laughs> film, very close. Like one of the best modern action films has that sense of physicality to the set pieces that only comes mm. from filming them in real life like you say um shot by uh, roger deakins who is obviously revered amongst like film twitter heads but is obviously exceptional and some of the the, the kind of color correction on these uh, sequences just makes the shots kind of so memorable um fantastic and like a brilliant villain, as well. Like a truly great mm. villain who is intertwined with the plot perfectly, is used sparingly. Javier Bardem's, well, I've forgotten his name, Raul Silver, that's it. Um, just really kind of twisted, really good. Um, great set piece in London. Um, Great kind of like weird sort of like uh bass that he's got, uh kind of like uh scenes as well that are incredibly tense. Um oh, yeah. ridiculous monologue where he introduced himself and talks about the rats on the island, Matthew. Uh yeah. Mommy was very bad. Um, <laughs> uh so yeah uh Now they only eat that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's that mouth it's that mouth noise he makes that that's just uh Yeah, tip top. Um, Sam Mendes, Bond. I'm guessing, Matthew, that you also uh, adore this. Um, Do you think this is a a worthy number one?
1: Yeah, I I really rate this. Um, I think this is what happens when you get like a really legit director and let them make something a bit sillier than they would maybe make under their own steam. Um, He's spoken at great length about how much he loves James Bond growing up and he was a big fan and... um, you know, not to knock the other directors, you know, obviously Martin Campbell directed GoldenEye and Casino Royale, both absolutely amazing. Um, uh, I just think this, yeah, like visually, structurally, I think there's so much imagination which feels like it comes from the director, you know. Within the set pieces, there are so many little mini ideas, it's just that opening sequences, there's multiple vehicles in the chase and the bit where he uses the digger to sort of smash up the train and then gets shot off by Moneypenny. It's just, it's just really good thriller making. Um, and he's like a surprisingly good action director, Sam Mendes as well. Like I think it's quite clear, quite easy to follow. I, I, I rate it for that. Great villain, great central kind of power triangle between Silver, M and Bond. Um, I know some people have a problem with the third act, and the fact that it kind of goes to the countryside for like a weird sort of home alone sequence, <laughs> yeah, like a um, uh, horde
0: mode basically,
1: <laughs> yeah, but I you know i I kind of like that it messes with the structure of it. I like that the big villain's layer is actually in the like the middle of the film that they go to that weird island and meet him. It's really striking the location and the the music super sinister and it just does everything slightly out of step with the other Bond films. It just feels like
0: someone's having real fun with it. Um, yeah, just super. Yeah, just really, really classy. It was, a- um, it was absolutely what the Craig films needed after Quantum of Solace as well. Was like time taken to get the next one right, you know? Um, yeah, to swerve back to like. It also, it does reintroduce some of the the classic Bond elements like the gadgets without it being too much, you know.
1: Yeah, and he gets like a little radio. I think isn't that the gadget he gets? He's like super unimpressed. Um, Yeah, that, and it's it's also interesting for like not really having a Bond girl. You know, there's the um, uh, incredibly beautiful kind of owner of the the sort of casino in um, is it Macau that they go to at the start, Um, who gets like offed rather unceremoniously, but then after that, like they they always say M's the bond girl
0: in this one don't they because it's about their relationship with her um yeah the term bond girl generally is a little bit loaded isn't it uh that's why I've not really yeah. used it much on this podcast but like yeah <laughs> it it's, it is true actually I really love the change of um scenery and pace of that last sequence because you've by that point you've already had breathless you know breathless train chase and a breathless chase through London as well like mega populated mm. kind of like areas busy feeling set pieces i think you need that that switch up at the end um to really bring it to life and i think because because you still have the unresolved element of silver as like a threat it means there's a real sense of danger to it still um and it doesn't ever become Mm. not fun either like the funniest bit i found in the last bit was when the aston martin gets blown up and then bond (laughs) bond just goes like bonkers off the back of that just incredibly upset by his car being destroyed um (laughs) so yeah it just it does it doesn't lose its sense of fun and uh yeah like lands the characterization really well of bond like being aging like failing the um the accuracy test which silver used against him and stuff like that just Mm. yeah real a real perfect mix of things and doesn't have anything like the the sorry the airplane set piece in casino royale that feels redundant to me um like it earns Mm. being over two hours and it might be the only bond film that does you know
1: yeah, yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. Um mate the thing which the only thing which jumped out at me as being a bit naff was um like Silver's sort of terrorist screensavers that he sends to people <laughs> with like cackling cackling gifts. Yeah. They are crap. <laughs> like that that stuff never ages well, like cyber terrorists <laughs> and the fact that they always seem to have these quite elaborate uh yeah like
0: terrorist jpegs pop up on people's computers you're like "Mm." they look like um (laughs) games you would play with your sky remote do you know what i mean like that kind of (laughs) that kind of energy to them yeah that dates um the way women are treated in this film is is pretty rough even by the um standard of bonds films like the money penny gets demoted to basically being a secretary although she is in the field through most of this and yeah, yeah you mentioned like basically you know, Raúl Silver's like hostage slave. Severin, I think. Yeah, English. she gets a really rough hand and then, yeah, then em is replaced by a dude. Like, uh, that. Yeah. women get yeah, a actually, I didn't
1: Yeah, I didn't really read it like that, but yeah, when you say it out loud, you're like, oh yeah, it's not great. Uh, isn't it, I, it's sort of like, it's almost like a twist that she's money penny, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. I think they hold it until the very end, basically. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, she's like, she's like really good. Like, I think her in the mm. field with Bond more would actually have Maybe brought some uh, the last two films to life a little bit, um, but they just don't have the confidence yeah. in that character, which is unfortunate. Uh, but yeah, yeah. okay, mm. good. We've wrapped up, Matthew. Any closing thoughts, or uh, are you all bonded out? Oh, it's, oh well, I'm certainly bonded out, I mean, it's a lot of
1: work for for uh, <laughs> two hours, two and a half hours of pod. But hopefully, it was worth it. I enjoyed talking about it. Yeah, I've definitely enjoyed uh, our DMs these last few weeks because yeah. it's just been an exchange of sort of. Baffled reactions to whatever terrible piece of racism is happening at any given moment, Um, which 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 was fun, Um, and I don't think we went too partridge. It is very partridgey doing a Bond rankings episode. I know that. Yeah, but Um, but
0: we kind of, you know, we we're all we're always so self aware about this stuff. I feel like it never yeah it never comes across as too too much um also it'll be a lot easier when we do the mission impossible films next year matthew because those are just like seven or whatever so we can just fire through those no problem Oh, i love those Yeah, yeah that should be good so, yes, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, almost 600 people uh, supporting us on Patreon. Matthew bewilders me as that number grows, but I'm uh, very grateful. Fun to do this. Um, we'll probably avoid um, list features of uh, series that have more than 20 entries in future just for, like, <laughs> time management purposes. But, yeah, uh, enjoy. it. You've got a uh, DC Extended Universe in you. Oh, God, no. I, I haven't even seen some of those. I haven't seen Aquaman, for example. So, yeah. Uh, not sure i can force that crap adam <laughs> oh no i'm not watching that i'm not watching any films of the rock for this podcast I won't do it no amount of money can make me do that um so yes we'll be back next month uh, the XL episode next month i think is might need a bit of workshopping matthew so before we like properly commit to what it is um which we can do after this call but the x episode is going to be um, best tv shows of the year so that should be really fun and uh yeah thank you for your support and we'll be back soon goodbye
1: bye bye